Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, broadcasting live every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central, from Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Every week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. I begin with a great discussion on Coach's Corner, followed by an insightful interview with my special guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining me live. I'm, again, Ted Odorico, your host, and very excited to have... Uh, a great show lineup uh, tonight. Uh, we're going to have a special Coach's Corner panel. We're not going to have the traditional uh, panel that I normally have. Uh, we're going to have actually a very special guest, and she's brought some guests with her, if you will, to uh, join in the conversation tonight. And, of course, I'm talking about my good friend, uh, head professional at the Landings Club in Savannah, Georgia, Nicole Weller. I'll tell you a little bit about her in just a moment. And a little bit later on the broadcast, I'm going to be joined by uh, another good friend, Peter Kessler. He's uh, a golf announcer known as The Voice, uh, you may recall, uh, some of his earlier days on the Golf Channel. He was the original uh, host, if you will, of the Golf Channel when it first started up in the 90s, and uh, he's doing lots of great things now, but he's going to be joining me on. It's actually uh, rescheduled from May 2nd. He was supposed to be on then and had a little bit of an issue, and I'll explain that a little bit later on in the show, but I want to thank everybody for joining me live here tonight, and I appreciate uh, you all uh, listening in, and uh, just a couple of quick announcements, and then I'm going to introduce Nicole and bring her and some of the other guests uh, that are ready to go, and then we'll start tonight's uh, special Coach's Corner panel. Um, but first, I want to just uh, acknowledge our sponsor for Coach's Corner, of course, uh, Golfswing.com. They come on board again this season. Uh, they're going to be spo- sponsoring the Coach's Corner panel segment here on Golf Talk Live, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about them and about a special offer uh, that we have for the listeners here uh, on Golf Talk Live. Uh, golfswing.com, with its cutting-edge technology, have teamed up alongside some of the best golf instructors, coaches, and swing gurus in the business. Together, they have uh, created one of the best video teaching and training online platforms in golf, period. Uh, if you're ready to break 100, 90, 80, or even 70, then join their online video academy and learn from some of the best. In addition to sponsoring the Coach's Corner segment, every week I'm going to post a different golf instructional video tip. Uh, I'll be featuring a video from another top instructor after uh, the broadcast, actually, I'm not going to do it tonight. I'm going to actually do it tomorrow night, um, and uh, it'll feature each week. I'll have a, a different uh, video uh, training tip, uh, one of the segments uh, from their online video academy. Very, very well done, and some great um, coaches that are included in there. Um, the special offer that I was talking about to all of the listeners of the show, if you uh, at checkout, if you enter the promo code GOLFTALKLIVE, they are giving a special 50% uh, reduction off of the subscription price. Uh, so if you go to golfswing.com after the show and check out their online subscription offer and enter the promo code Golf Talk Live, uh, you'll earn 50% off the subscription price. It's well worth it. They've got some great uh, golf instruction tips there. Uh, literally thousands of, of videos online. They're one of the best in the business. So join golfswing.com today and watch, practice, and improve your game. A little bit later on, uh, before Peter comes on, I'm going to play a, a a short audio clip from golfswing.com to tell you a little bit more uh, about them as well. All right, as I mentioned, I've got a special Coach's Corner uh, panel lined up here tonight. Uh, first and foremost, of course, again, my good friend, uh, Nicole Weller. Uh, as I mentioned, she's the head professional at the Landings Club in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, she's also a member of the LPJ's Teaching and Club Professionals, 
as well as the PGA of America. She served on the LPGA USGA Girls Golf of Savannah Board, uh, two terms on the PGA National Youth Player Development Committee and the LPGA Education Committee, uh, the PGA Special Awards Committee, and is co-author of the LPGA Girls Golf Playbook and a proud partner with both Little Linksters and The Littlest Golfer. Uh, Nicole is also a U.S. Kids Master Kids teacher and is certified with U.S. Kids Golf and Spirit of Golf. Uh, she was given this prestigious honor of being the first professional to receive both the 2013 PGA and LPGA National Junior Golf Leader Awards in the same year and was listed on the 2017 LPGA Women's Golf Journal inaugural LPGA Top 50 Teachers List. Uh, she also helped coordinate the U.S. Kids Golf Instructor Certification Seminar uh, for U.S. Golf's, uh, Kids Golf excuse me, at the Landings Club back in December 2016 where she hosted uh, 30 of her fellow professionals. So uh, in addition to that, uh, we're also going to be joined by Mrs. Andy McKeever, uh, Mr. Andrew Barber, and Dr. Jay Goldstein. And uh, they're on board as well right now. So Nicole, Andy, uh, Andrew, and Jay, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ted. Thanks for Thank having you. us. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, so Nicole, I'm going to start with you uh, first, as I mentioned off air, uh, with with just a, a few questions, and I'm going to bring the the, the parents in. I, actually, what I'm going to back up here for a second. Why don't you explain who some of the other guests are, and uh, and part of the reason why we brought them on the show tonight. Sure thing, Ted. And and again, thanks for having me on the show. This is turning into one of like my major holidays of the year, so I'm going to add you into a major <laughs> holiday. It's fun, and I appreciate the, the opportunity. Look forward to it. And um, joined by um, three of our very special youth golf parents, um, Andy and Jay and Andrew are all parents of youth golfers who play at the Landings Club, and um, they support a lot of our programming, but also kind of help us shape it. So uh, their, you know, comments and their ideas help us kind of direct where we want to go, because as staff, we usually have ideas, but it's really about a team effort. And so uh, their kids are playing in a lot of events, some are national, some are local, and um, it's just really neat to see their involvement and their enthusiasm, and um, it, they're like family. So it, we really appreciate them being here and sharing their thoughts on what it's like to be a parent, um, you know, maneuvering through the world of youth sports, doing everything else they do in life. Right. Um, and, and, again, thank you guys for, for joining us tonight as well. I appreciate and we're looking forward to some of your thoughts and input into the show as well. I think one of the things, Nicole, uh, and you hit it right on the head, is, you know, it, it's sort of a navigation, if you will, in the sporting world for parents. Um, you know, their children have different uh, hobbies and interests, uh, golf, of course, being uh, one of them in this particular case. And there's a lot of a, a juggling act, if you will. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But first, I want you just to explain a little bit about some of the programs that you offer um, that uh, maybe uh, some of their children are involved with, just as an example, just so that the other parents that might be listening to the show tonight get a kind of an overall flavor of what it is that you're talking about. Okay, sure. Um, well, we do uh, several different programs um, throughout the club, and we try to involve play, and we try to involve education and give the kids a chance to get out and do a lot of things. So uh, we have a, a six-week spring and a six-week fall youth academy uh, designed for the kids who are playing more of like the PGA Junior League and maybe playing in some local, state, and uh, national tournaments just so they can, they can get out, keep playing, and compete against each other um, in that venue and keep their energies up. Uh, we have a summer youth golf academy that lasts for a week. Uh, we're about to do a drive chip putt practice for anybody who wants to get ready uh, to compete in the local qualifier. 
And uh, we try to do things throughout the year to pepper in, like we tried our first um, uh, Ryder Cup Invitational, and um, we had a qualifier for two spots. Um, we hosted the Web.com Tour Savannah Golf Championship at our club, and so um, we had two spots that were open for a youth to play in the uh, Pro-Am. So we held a little qualifier for that, and that, it's been really fun to see evolve. So um, programs that go on throughout the year and then some special events, and we're always there for them. And uh, some days I'll see them on the range um, after I finish cleaning up and head over and maybe challenge the kids to a shot. So I think I am currently – one of, one of the children has the record, but I think I'm down at least by one or two for this year. So I'm, I'm working. It keeps my game in shape to try to keep up with them. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine it does. Um, well said. Thank you, Nicole. N- Nicole, I want to ask you something as well, you know, because it, just to clarify this, um, because the, the age range obviously can vary, but um, – in a lot of cases, you're talking about very, very young children. Um, you know, we're not necessarily talking about, you know, uh, 12 and 13 and, and, and up years of age. In many cases, some of the kids that you've worked with uh, are much younger than that. So, you know, what do you do to, to sort of keep their interest? Because as, as I'm sure the parents will concur, uh, they can get distracted very easy. So how do you find a balance of, of keeping them engaged and keeping it fun and interesting um, at, at a young age, and just give it an idea of some of the age groups that you're working with. Sure, and uh, especially with what's come out with, uh, you know, inspired through PGA with the new ADM model, American Development Model, and it, it gives the professionals and the industry a really great idea of what's appropriate at what age. So we're always looking to advance, and we're going to look at our age groups and see that we're kind of in line with what research has designed for when's too young for competition and when's a good time to do this and that. So um, the the guests who are on, their children are pretty much um, 8 and 8 to, I would say, 11 or 12, 13-ish, so in that age group. But I work with 2 to 3s, 4 to 5s, 6 to 12, 6 to 10, depending on the, the program, and then older. So we group them in that way. But uh, you know, anything five or six and younger, no serious competition at all. Not recommended at all. The kids are just not ready for that. Maybe developmentally, physically they can, but cognitively, socially, not a good thing to have, you know, the, the big rewards and the trophies and this and that. So uh, we do more of our team events and, um, you know, especially as they start with uh, a little bit of competition like PGA Junior League, that's a little bit more of a recreational competition, just getting them started. Uh, and then as they get into the other divisions um, and maybe going to U.S. kids' local events or, you know, some of the city and state and the nationals, trying to help support them, you know, with individual lessons or opportunities like the academy so they can keep their skills sharp. Right. And, and I I mean, I already know the answer because, you know, you've um, been on the show many times and talked about this. And, and as you sort of alluded to, at this age, you know, whether it be, you know, two to two and three or five to, um, you know, six age uh, bracket, um, you're not really getting serious about golf at that point. You're just really there to, to have fun and, and more or less expose them to the game because they're really not um, developed enough in most cases. There might be some exceptions, but um, to really get into a, a more uh, thorough challenge, if you will. So really, what you're trying to do at that age is just sort of expose them to the game and, and find out the level of interest. And then obviously as they progress uh, through the different programs, um, then you get a little bit more involved. Is that pretty accurate? Do you think? 
I think that would be very accurate, yes. And checking out like PGA.coach and the American Development Model and seeing at what, you know, what age is appropriate to do certain things and introduce, you know, even fitness and working out and, and what they can handle at certain ages is important. So we may see the models and tournaments, you know, change a little bit, but that, that's, that's pretty, pretty spot on. Yeah, and, and I think that one of the things, obviously, you know, there are always going to be exceptions to the rule. You might get a little, I mean, let's look at Tiger Woods. I mean, he's been putting around since he was three years old, but, you know, that was a little bit different uh, scenario. Um, most kids at that age, you know, they're doing other things as well. And, and again, their attention span may not uh, always be, um, you know, as long as, as what you would need to, to really focus into some of the fundamentals in that of golf. And you're not really talking about that. I, I want to talk, uh, before we get into um, some of the questions for the parents, uh, I want to ask you um, about the parents in specific and, and as far as your programs are concerned. You know, many other activities out there, more often than not, um, you know, the parents will sort of drop their kids off and, and they'll engage in that activity. Um, how much commitment or how much involvement uh, do the parents have in your programs, if at all? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I, I think it varies. There are some that, uh, you know, they want to drop the kids off for a good golf experience and to learn a little bit and get out there and more exercise and, and activity to do for that season. So they will be kind of the drop-off and pick-up parents. And then we have parents like the ones who are on now who, you know, if we need some extra help on a PGA Junior League team or can you help drive during one of our practices, uh, they want to be involved. And I think that is, that's so cool and it helps our program do what it needs to do. So, um, you know, seeing them get out there is important. And when we have lessons, you know, I can tell when there's some really eager parents and um, what my, I really like to have some time with the kids. Maybe I'll do a quick, you know, chat with the parents at the beginning, but I want the child to have a really good learning environment, a safe environment, not one where they're constantly looking over their shoulder for approval right. or, you know, um, you know, we'll hear right. parents or sometimes grandparents, you know, um, um, yelling out some ideas like keep your head down or make sure you're listening or <laughs> this. So they keep interjecting themselves in the lesson and it all comes from a good place in the heart. They want to help and they, sure. they want to, you know, be assistance and that's cool, but sometimes it, it definitely is not a, a good thing to help the progress and it's the opposite of what we're trying to teach. So I like to reconvene after and go over the notes and even use programs like Coach Now or Edify to help, you know, keep people updated on, on what we're doing and the verbiage we're using. So um, I know some of the students that are on, actually everybody who's on tonight knows that app. So hopefully it's helpful to keep everybody on the same page. But like you were mentioning with, with young children, um, there's so much research on burnout and early injuries. Right. Um, and, you know, golf is a one-sided sport. So you know, you have to train different things. You should be doing different sports. You want to develop the children as an athlete and then apply it to golf. So um, it, it's really important not to overdo it. And just because we see potential in a child, you know, we have to figure out what is their pace. And um, like Kate, who's, um, whose dad's on tonight, just she, you know, you put her down and, and watch her go. And um, we're seeing like uh, Hunter and Noah start exploding um, with what they're doing and, and their scores. And they, they kind of come out at their time, and it's just neat to see. And uh, EA and Lawson are doing a wonderful job with Junior League, I think their third season. So they're, uh, they're really all pitching in at different levels. Yeah, and, and I think it's, you know, it's important to um, – and, and I know it's sometimes, you know, for the parents, they, they want to be – involved and they want to as you said that it comes from a, a good place in the heart 
Um, but as you said, sometimes it can be a little intimidating for the child to, to know that their parents are sort of injecting themselves too much into the program. They want to go there and have fun and, and not feel like they're looking, as you said, looking for approval. Uh, I want to ask the parents something, and I'm going to go uh, ladies first. Andy, I'm going to start with you if you don't mind, and then uh, Jay and then Andrew. Um, it, it's essentially the same question um, for each of you. Uh, and that is, you know, as, as Nicole and, and I have just mentioned, you know, there's a lot of other activities out there. Um, obviously, golf is something that all of you are interested in, so naturally you want to uh, introduce your, your child or children to uh, that activity as well, and hopefully uh, that'll take root. Um, but how much, uh, Andy, how much time, uh, you know, does golf fit into the family schedule? I mean, it's a busy schedule that families have nowadays, and with soccer and all these other sports that compete with uh, golf, how do you find time to sort of fit that into your schedule? Uh, well, I mean, it's really a team effort. My husband and I both work, so we kind of have to tag team to get the kids to different events. But, uh, you know, like anything in life, you make time for the things that you enjoy. So uh, we kind of carve out that time because it is special. Um, the kids enjoy it. We enjoy watching them grow and develop. So um, I, I don't think it's all that all that difficult, you know, especially if you're working together to get them to the different activities. Right. And, and, and again, it's a matter, obviously, of, of what their interest level is in certain other sports. If they have a higher interest in something else, and obviously you're going to want to, as a parent, you're probably going to want to lean uh, towards that. And, and hopefully golf is in that, that uh, realm. Um, Jay, what about yourself with your children? Obviously, um, you know, golf is something that uh, I'm assuming that you enjoy playing and, and you would like to see your kids, uh, you know, be involved in that. Um, again, is it sort of a, a juggling act with your family and, um, you know, what happens one day if they decide, eh, you know, golf's just not for me, is uh, are you going to look in another direction or are you going to sort of stick it out and, and try to continue to encourage them? Yeah, I um, I can tell you that my kids so far, they've really developed a love for the game and they've really enjoyed themselves with the game. And so I think it's going to stick with them. Uh, we definitely have other activities, um, soccer, tennis, basketball. So they're, they're doing other activities. And so depending on the sport and the season, we will slow down with some of the golf, but we continue to go out there and, and play and practice a little bit. Um, from a time crunch, uh, you know, my wife and I, we both work, but I will tell you my wife who's never never played golf or been around golf has learned a lot in the last couple of years, and, and now she loves mm-hmm. it and loves going out and being a caddy for the uh, for my younger one. So it's 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 been kind of a fun family experiment and, and experience. Well, uh, thank you for that as well, Jay. Um, Andrew, before I get to you, let me just add, you know, I think that one of the things – that, you know, and Nicole, you and I have talked about this, um, and I'm going to make a quick note about you in just a second here, um, something I forgot to mention. Um, you know, I think the younger that we can expose them to golf, um, the better. And again, it, it's up to them to what degree that they want to pursue it to, at some point, whether they want to play competitive golf or whether they just want to have fun. But, you know, I think it's just getting them out there and introducing them to the game because really, golf is at a bit of a disadvantage to many other sports because it's not in the general curriculum of most school programs um, until you get it to certain levels. So, you know, some kids don't get exposed to golf until much later in life. And by that time, it's, you know, a little harder. Um, One thing I wanted to mention, Nicole, and I don't know whether you realize um, this show has been on for seven years. You were my very first guest um, Mm -hmm. on the program several years ago, and you've been back every year. So this is uh, number seven for you. Thank you. That's why it's a national holiday. So, yes, I love it. Thank you. Well, yeah, exactly. 
So Andrew, what about yourself? Obviously, you have uh, children that are involved in golf, um, and I'm assuming obviously you enjoy playing golf as well. Um, what's been some of the feedback as far as you know, golf as an activity in your family for, for the younger ones? Uh, obviously, I'm assuming they're involved in other activities as well, but what's been some of the feedback that you've had with your children so far? Well, I, I have a, a daughter who plays a lot of golf and a son who plays zero golf. So um, we we find that she makes time for golf every day just about. And um, if we can't take her to the golf course, she'll load her clubs up on her little bike tow cart and ride her bike to the golf course by herself. So, um, you know, we do our best to take her to events and tournaments and things like that. But, um, you know, she, she has her own motivation and will get herself to the golf course as much as she can. Wow, I think that's fantastic. She's already, um, you know, already got her equipment in tow, if you will. I, that sounds like, Nicole, it might be the making of a, an LPJ champion in the future here. Um, yeah. She's already yeah. – uh... <laughs> All right, let me ask um, – you, Nicole, really, uh, and, and again, I know, you know, as um, as an instructor, you know, to really prioritize when you're out there, what are some of the key things that you try to, and, and again, I know it's age appropriate and so forth, but let's talk about um, first with the younger ones and then a little bit with the older ones. Um, how do you prioritize what you do and how do you decide, okay, this is what we're going to do with this group here and this is what we're going to do with that group there? Well, I think the first and foremost, the environment needs to be emotionally safe as well as physically safe. You know, you're looking at, do they spray pesticides? You know, is, are they in a safe area where they're not going to get hit? Or, you know, we deal with fire ants sometimes. So we're looking at all of those areas to make it a really good environment. Um, from there, it really depends on the group and, you know, the individual. And so, you know, I've had like a, a two-year-old go for, could go longer than a half hour. And I had one the other day that, didn't make it to 15 minutes, but that was so cool because even just a few minutes of it, uh, the rest of her vacation there with her grandparents uh, or grand aunt, she just wanted to um, drop the ball in the hole and go to the putting green. So, you know, the introduction is key. And then, you know, in our, in our seasonal programs, I like to sit down before and make like an eight week program. And I, I want there, especially for the young kids to be very holistic. I want there to be golf or near golf skills, um, music, art, healthy nutrition, um, sunscreen protection, even like how you shake hands, you know, looking at someone's eye color and a medium squeeze. So there's so many life skills to teach. And, you know, as we look through the different age groups, we, we look to see where, you know, where are we going to go? Like the academy that uh, Coach Chris and Coach Eric took this season, they wanted to do a lot more on the course and get out there with the kids more and not just beat balls at the range. Um, so, you know, so you start with introduction, then you get into skill building, and then more of the application of it. And especially as the kids get older, um, I think it's really cool to involve them in the decision. So you may have an idea like, all right, I want to do some pitching. We're going to work with some speed control drills and getting the ball to stop or check or roll, but then getting them to involved in the game. And they kind of take it and they create it, and they may create it in ways that you've not seen or, you know, or thought of. And they're going to use all the cool new young kid lingo that you get to learn too. So it's uh, right. it's really neat. Right. Well said. 
Um, I want to ask you, I know you touched on this, uh, Nicole, a little bit uh, in the beginning, but I just want to get into it a little bit deeper, and then I'm going to go back to the parents, and I want them not to answer this specifically, but uh, I'm going to generalize uh, a little bit. Um, you know, you talk about in situations where sometimes the, the parents might get a little bit too involved um, and, and sometimes overdo it with getting too involved in the, in the programs or, or getting too involved uh, in, in how the development, uh, and I'm talking about golf development of the child, and sometimes that can be a hindrance, um, whereas there's also situations, as you mentioned, where the parents are a little bit more laid back and, and sort of let the kids you know, unfold and develop naturally. Um, what are some of the things that, that you try to do and, and you know, when you're first starting the programs at the beginning of the season, do you sort of sit down or do you talk with the parents and say, look, you know, we certainly want your involvement and things like that, but, you know, because that's not always an easy conversation, um, I, I'm sure, at times to, to, to navigate. So how do you handle situations like that? Well, like uh, with our PGA Junior League team, we did uh, we did not have a big parent meeting this year, but most of the kids on the team this year, they've been through the team other than I think two. So we've gone through meetings in the past on the first day, and we really like working with Positive Coaching Alliance that we learned through the U.S. Kids Certification. And, and we, we live it and breathe it, and um, all, all the, the programs in there, like having a mistake ritual or the elm tree where we focus more on the mastery versus the scoreboard, um, you know, honoring the roots of the game, th those types of things. And, and actually – they made it kind of nice for us as coaches to go, you know, when you talk to a group, you're going to say, here's what we offer. Here's our culture, and here's how we do that. And, you know, having – we even had the kids kind of do a little skit on what's it like for a kid to be the parent, and we kind of reversed the roles, and that was kind of fun to see. So, um, you know, and even in individual lessons, I'll, I'll remind them several times, like, well, here's, here's how we're going to do this. Or even in a two- to three-year-old class, I'll talk to the parents – and say, you know, here's how we're going to go. So we're kind of pulling them through so they understand the lingo as well. And there will always be a couple of parents, you know, uh, that even though I say I don't mind if a two- or three-year-old has a reverse grip or they're holding it with one hand or they're, they're having a split grip, um, they will still peel the kid's hands off and put them on in what they think is the adult correct way. So I, I, I do as much reminding as I can you know, as appropriately as I can. And, and we'll also follow up with, um, you know, weekly reminders on some of the, um, like, eight-week programs. And our Edify, I do a car talk. So for our uh, ages two to three, four to five, and six to nine, the parents get a little reminder of what we did each week. So hopefully they have a chance to read it. I know they get inundated with a lot of things. But uh, we try to remind them through that and, um, and just, you know, just gentle reminders to, to sneak them in there. Yeah, and, and it is a balancing act because obviously, you know, especially when you're dealing with the little ones, you know, the parents do want to kind of be involved, and it's good that you have a um, a program set up where they're sort of getting educated along the route as well as their child, and, and they're getting some good uh, solid feedback. All right, I want to go back to the parents and, and sort of keeping on this theme for a little bit, but I'm going to sort of massage, as I said, the, the question a little bit for, for you guys. Uh, and this time I'm going to start with Andrew, and then I'm going to go to Jay, and then to Andy uh, to sort of round it out. But Andrew, what I want to ask you as a parent, um, you know, maybe a lot of times you're able to be there uh, for some of the, the different uh, uh, teaching and so forth, and, and maybe there's, you know, times for whether it be work restrictions or whatever, you're not able to make it. Um, but obviously you get a lot of the feedback. Um, 
how do you find from your standpoint a balancing act that you don't um, you know you want to be involved but you don't want to be over involved to the point where it's counterproductive to the coaching right well I mean Kate's been with Nicole for I guess about six years now and um, I trust her wholeheartedly so I don't have um, I usually will either drop Kate off or I'll go hit balls myself somewhere else. So I'm not necessarily around um, during the, the coaching. But, you know, one of the things that's nice about golf is that, you know, during tournaments that you can caddy for your um, child and things like that, that you're out there with them. So you have, you know, life lesson moments rather than, you know, just sitting in a bleachers and watching them, you know, perform their sport. So I think that that is right. unique about golf and gives you, gives you the chance to, you know, tell right, stories exactly. and talk about any, anything else also. So. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's good. I think it's, you know, it, it's good to be involved in that. Um, but, you know, as Nicole mentioned, you know, that you have to sort of step back a little bit. Um, Jay, I'm going to massage it just a little bit more. Um, you know, obviously the situations where, you know, you've played, you know, I'm sure considerably longer than your children have played, so you have a certain ingrained knowledge of how the how the game is played, but there's obviously going to be situations where maybe your children uh, might come home and say, well, you know, we've been working on this, um, or we've been working on that, and it may be different than what your understanding is. Do you try to, to you know, in, inject your thoughts or differences, if you will, or do you sort of let things be as they are, and then maybe have a discussion with Nicole or whoever else is involved at a later part if you have a disagreement. I will tell you, through the years, and and my kids have been taking lessons with Nicole and been around Nicole for probably about five or six years themselves, I will tell you that my my involvement and my energy kind of waxes and wanes a little bit because you get this overzealous parent and you're so ready to get them. uh, And I I can (laughs) tell you there was a, a time when my kid was six, and I was so excited to get him on the golf course. We started taking lessons. And one day we went and we were hitting balls out of a sand trap. And uh, after about three minutes, my kid, instead of hitting balls, decided he wanted to just kind of get in the sand and rake it and play in it. And, and I said to Nicole, <laughs> God, this is so frustrating. And Nicole said, Jay, this is, this is not supposed to be frustrating. The exposure, let him rake the trap, let him get in the trap, let him hang out in the trap right. and don't let it frustrate you. Instead of, you know, you're feeling like you have to hit balls because what that does is that just exposes them to the game and they, they look and they're seeing it. And, and, I, and I took that – that was a valuable lesson to me in the early stages of working with Nicole, um, not to be that energetic and, um, you know, overzealous parent. I'll tell you, having, having, um, having lessons with Nicole, sometimes I'll walk over to her and say, he's not doing this right, and she, like, kind of smiles at me and understands that I'm, you know, trying to get him to have a better score there. <laughs> but what, what we do is I, I release my kids to Nicole. They have a lesson. I don't go anywhere near them. And then afterwards, either through um, Coach Now or Edufy or um, – uh, you know, just at the end of the lesson, she'll come over to me and she'll tell me different lessons that she wants me to work on with them until the next lesson. And and I feel like that's been very valuable. So I, I don't actively get involved. I'm not standing over there. I'm not trying to get the approval. I stay way away. And, and that system's worked really well for me and my kids and, uh, and working with Nicole. Uh, again, well said. And, and uh, Andy, you know, I, I think as a parent, I think, you know, you all want to, um, you know, make sure that your child or your children um, are getting the most out of that experience. Um, but sometimes they come home and, 
and uh, I'm, I'm sure they all have a lot of fun with Nicole, but sometimes maybe some of the exercises or some of the um, things that they're working on can be uh, challenging depending on their age. And as we all know that we've been involved with golf uh, for any length of time, uh, it can be downright hard and frustrating and can cause a little bit of anxiety. What do you do, Andy, um, when your child or, or children come home from this experience and it's just been a challenging day and they feel a little bit frustrated maybe at times or, or if at all uh, and just feel like you know, this is just not happening the way I would like it to, what do you do to encourage them to get right back in there and keep trying? Um, well, a lot of times if, if it's something that didn't go according to plan, we'll, we'll, we like to get out on the course a lot like on Sunday, uh, Sunday afternoons and we'll go up to the clubhouse and you know, and we're like, well, let's kind of practice maybe some things that they that you've learned at, um, you know, on the PGA team, or if that shot didn't go well, maybe you know, let's recreate it and then see, you know, see if we can kind of compete among ourselves because we all kind of play golf, but we do it in a fun way. Um, you know, right. it, I think it's just a matter of just getting out there and then, you know, what didn't go well, and then how can we perform better and. You know, my son's very competitive. It's kind of funny because my kids play for two different reasons. I mean, Lawson's the competitive one, and then Erica Ann, it's completely a social experience um, for her. Right. It, it's not so much that did the shot go well, but, um, oh, well, Ava wasn't able to make it or Kate wasn't able to make it, and, um, you know, that she was disappointed in, in being able to catch up with them a little bit um, during golf. So it, it's interesting that they have different perspectives. Yeah, it's very interesting, Nicole, and that brings up a, a, another great point. You know, we know as, as professionals we're seeing uh, quite an insurgent of young female uh, golfers. Uh, in fact, the biggest population of new golfers coming in each year for the last several years have been young girls particularly. Um, what's been some of the experience out where you are? Um, I mean, obviously we know it's on a national scale, but – uh, at, at your uh, club or, or organization that you're working with, what's been some of the uh, experience with new young girls coming into the game? Are you seeing sort of a, an uptick, if you will, uh, of of new interest uh, in young females wanting to play and learn the game? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. We have a LPGA USGA girls golf program, and um, our program at the club actually it kind of it waxes and wanes. So right now we're kind of in a little off period. So I'm hoping to get that growing again. We have a lot of different things that our membership does, and with all the activities, trying to find the right day and whatnot. So. Um, you know, we've had up to like 20, 23 girls on the roster, and then we've had, you know, down to just a couple that can show. So I think finding, you know, the best days and times and actually having like a, an ambassador, like a parent's ambassador who helps you to grow that program is key. Uh, in Knoxville, we, I inherited a program with 25 girls, and we grew it to almost 80 before I left. So it is really fun to see that. And, and there will be girls that come in and want to try golf, they might be visiting grandchildren or they might be new members or, you know, they might not be a golf member, but they can still come and take lessons as like an athletic member or a house member. So um, we'd like to try to see them get involved and, and whatnot. So um, we have a big Savannah Girls Golf Day. Um, that's our September event. And it's really fun to usually see anywhere from, gosh, 40 to 70 girls on that one day. And they come in from wow. the local area, and uh, a lot of them are Girl Scouts or girls on the run. So 
the LPGA has done a super job getting that program going. Um, it's been nice to see it grow. Uh, Sandy LeBeau started it in Phoenix, I think, in 02 or years ago, and so she did a great job with that. But it's it's been great to see the girls going. And we had a Golf Channel story a couple years ago, and it was nice to see, um, you know, the involvement and how they portrayed that. So. It's it's been cool to see. So hopefully we'll get our program up and going again and get the girls involved. So love seeing them out there. In fact, um, Kate, EA, and um, Ava are going to play um, something I call Nine with Nicole. So in the summer I do nine holes with some girls, and we're <laughs> going to have a great match next week. So that'll be fun. Perfect. Well, hopefully you'll get a, a little splatter of rain beforehand just to soften hopefully. up the course a little bit, make it more more rain. Receptive. Otherwise, you'll feel like you're playing in Texas. Um, I want to ask another quick question, uh, all the parents, uh, again, and I'll start from the from the top, like I did earlier uh, with uh, with Andy, and then uh, Jay, and then we'll finish up with Andrew. Um, what has been, uh, Andy, for you thus far, the biggest biggest challenge um, with this golf experience with with your your youngsters playing? What's been the biggest challenge for you? Uh, well, I will. I guess I would have to say it's probably you know how involved do they want to be or not involved, you know. And um, and I agree with some of the previous statements that you know it just depends on the season. And so you want them to continue to stay engaged. It's such a wonderful lifelong sport um, that you know you kind of have to read your children a little bit and know you know when to let them kind of make you know call the shots on you know yeah I want to do this and this this particular time or maybe I want to step back and just focus on playing with the team instead of doing individual competitions like drive, chip, and putt. Um, so I, th I think it's just a matter of letting them uh, kind of fill out the sport a little bit, decide how much they want to be involved in or, or if they just want to be more um, socially involved, you know, a little bit lighter. Right. Um, Jay, what about yourself? Um, pretty much uh, concur with, with what Andy has said. Any any other um, challenges that you found thus far? Um, I would I would definitely say the, um, the the sometimes it waxes and wanes in the years of how actively involved and how much they want to play. Um, I, I think the one of the biggest issues for us is when they get really actively involved. It's it's time. You, you brought that up earlier in the segment. Um, sometimes it's just you know they they want to get out. They want to do this. They want to go to this tournament. They want to go play and. And there's only so so many hours in, in the week that my wife and I have the availability to take them to different places. So we kind of have to pick and choose and uh, try and you know try and temper that a little bit with them. But uh, but it you know it's exciting when they when they have that momentum and they want to play. So you want to kind of push forward with it, but also you you just got to try and find a way to get them to where they need to go. Yeah, and and obviously time is a is a big issue for I'm sure a lot of folks as we mentioned in the beginning. Um, you know, with so many other activities, not just sports activities, but just, um, you know, other life activities, if you will, or unexpected things come up sometimes that can take away from, from um, the activities that we want. Uh, Andrew, what about yourself? Uh, again, do you sort of pretty much concur with what's been said so far as far as some of the challenges that you've found thus far, uh, or maybe you have some other thoughts? No, no, I have to agree um, with, with both Andy and Jay on that. I think, you know, just prioritizing um, time and tournaments and practice time and things like that and um, with school and um, other things that we have to do is, is the biggest challenge for sure. I want to ask um, and again give each of you so Andrew I want, I'm going to go back 
reverse the order and then uh, I'm going to let the three of you go and then I'm going to finish up uh, the segment with Nicole. Um, but obviously we've got some, some parents listening tonight. Um, so Andrew, Jay, and then Andy, I uh, just, just again, very quick thoughts. If you were um, wanting to give some advice to parents that maybe don't have their child uh, in a golf program, um, what advice would you do uh, or would you give them rather um, on how to get involved or, um, you know, maybe they're kind of sitting on the fence, if you will, what would you say to them? I, I think that you just have to let um, the kids try it and they, they have to, you know, love it and, and really want to do it. Um, you know, having one kid that likes golf or loves golf and one that doesn't is, um, is a bit of a challenge for us. And so, you know, we've tried to introduce it to him lots of different ways and um, he just is not interested. So we, we drop it. So if, if they don't have an interest or a love for it, it's, it's not something that you can, you can fight. So you have to introduce it and, and hope that they um, take, take to it and, and then let it go from there. Right. Well said. Um, Jay, you know, I'm sure every parent, uh, you know, sort of fantasizes that they've got the next, you know, PJ or LPJ superstar in their midst, and they want to get them out there and see what they can, you know, mix it up with, with others uh, in their age group. Um, what advice would you give to parents in a case like that where, you know, we touched about, about it a little bit earlier about being a little bit too assertive or too aggressive uh, in getting them out there, but what advice would you have for parents that maybe um, are in a situation where they think they've got the next rising star? What would you say to them? I, I would say that's, I think that's probably the hardest part about being a parent when you, when you feel like you're onto something and your kids are, are in love and, you know, they seem to be progressing. Um, and, and I would say expose them to the game and, and definitely don't put too much pressure on them because I think the pressure is going to actually drive them away from wanting to play golf versus just trying to make it fun. And I would think that's probably been one of the, the greatest things that Nicole's kind of taught me through the years is, um, you know, just try and make it fun for your children. And, uh, and, and we go back to that. We were, we were recently in a tournament where we were, we were kind of struggling and we were in the lead, but we started struggling. And I just looked at him and I said, let's just have fun. Let's just smile and have fun. It doesn't yeah. matter. You know, and we, we started to smile and, and it took all the pressure off. And, and, and that's kind of what it's all about. So I think expose your child to the game and then just let it be fun and, and don't put too much pressure on them. And I think everything will come to them. I agree. Well said. And Andy, any final thoughts uh, from your standpoint? You obviously have uh, a young girl, um, and um, and that in, in the, involved in the sport. And um, for those out there that maybe have a, a young daughter that hasn't been exposed, and we obviously want to ex expose them to to golf. And we know from playing and and being involved in it, um, some of the uh, life lessons that can be learned. Um, if there's some parents out there that maybe particularly have a, a child in, in general, but particularly a young girl that that um, has not really been involved in golf, what would you say to them? Well, it, it, exactly what I said previously, that, you know, allow them to embrace it, um, you know, what they enjoy about the sport. I mean, both of my children were introduced through, um, you know, working with Nicole through camps in the summer, at you know, starting early at the age of four, but like I said, they took different paths, and and you know my daughter just loves it because of the social aspect to be able you know to be able to have conversations and really develop um, those friendships on the course um, while enjoying being outdoors. 
So uh, I think just kind of encourage the things that they, they love about it. I couldn't agree more. Uh, well said. Um, well, Andy and, and Jay and Andrew, I want to thank you very much for, for joining Nicole and I uh, on the special Coaches Corner panel. It's been very interesting to, to get a parent's perspective um, you know, on, on golf because a lot of times, and, and one of the reasons I asked specifically the questions I did is because I think sometimes parents don't realize that their involvement uh, is twofold. Um, it can be detrimental if it's, if it's you know, uh, too much or too aggressive. And if there's not enough, as, as Nicole pointed out, if they're looking for approval, sometimes it can have a, an adverse effect as well. So it's very important the role that parents play uh, with their children. And sometimes, um, you know, you just have to kind of let them go and give them a nudge and encouragement, but then you have to step back as well. But I think you guys have done a fantastic job from, from what I understand uh, from our discussion tonight. And I hope you continue to enjoy that journey uh, with your children. And, uh, who knows um, where we may end up uh, down the road. We may be watching one of them or more uh, on, on television, uh, battling it out with some of the professionals. So uh, Andy, Jay, and Andrew, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Thank you so much. Sure. Thanks. Thank you thank all. You. See you this week. Thank you. Bye-bye. We appreciate it. All right. <clears throat> Pardon me. That was uh, Andy McKeever, Andrew Barber, and Dr. Jay Goldstein joining Nicole and I uh, for a special segment of Coach's Corner. Um, so Nicole, I, I just want to take a few more minutes, uh, and then, uh, we'll, we'll end this segment, but, uh, wanted to give you an opportunity, uh, to share, um, again, maybe some upcoming events that are, that are going to be happening and some of the other things that you're working on and anything, um, that you would like to promote or, or, uh, what have you here on the show? Oh gosh, that's a good question. So, uh, we of course at the I'm trying to think where do I start but uh, at at the club we work with our members and their sponsored guests and um, always looking to see what's coming up so we have our summer programming coming up for us and we do um, schools and everybody has a lot of different ways to do their camps but ours are basically a four day camp Tuesday through Friday morning and our two to three year olds do a half hour uh, uh, the first three mornings. Um, then they come to our banquet on Friday. The four to sixes do a one hour session. And then the uh, the, the uh, older 7 to 17s do a two-hour session. And then on Friday afternoon, the olders will play a nine-hole scramble, and the youngers will play a five-hole scramble. And then we have a celebration banquet. So I find that in a lot of our programming, it's really cool to overlap um, the timing. It, it's helped. I've been looking at separating the time so I could teach more groups, but the parents like when I have staff that can – you know, be at different groups at the same time because it helps them to drop off the kids and then pick them up. So that's a big thing for parents is the timing. So, um, you know, I like to overlap and do that so we don't have too many sideline siblings that are just waiting and, and whatnot. So, But we have camps coming up, drive, chip, and putt practice, um, youth, youth academy, uh, like the advanced camp. Uh, we'll have our club championship run by Coach uh, Vinny. Uh, for the youth. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Coach Joey is running our PGA Junior League with the help of Coach Eric. So we're very lucky to have um, 14 professionals on our staff. We have six courses, four shops, and it's a large production. So it takes a village and a family, and we love working with the kids. So that's uh, that's a little bit on, the, on, on our programming. Of course, July 4th is off, and we close one of our courses. And uh, they shoot fireworks off from the ninth hole, and we have two to 3,000 people there, golf carts, and we'll have Golfzilla up from Birdie Ball. I love working with Birdie Ball, and um, they've got a lot mm-hmm. of good things in the pipeline, and it's a lot of fun. So we'll, we'll have a lot of good events. Uh, we'll be hosting the sub-regional for drive, chip, and putt uh, end of July. So we, 
we love being able to host that and are honored. So a lot of uh, a lot of cool things coming up there. And I get to teach at the uh, U.S. Women's Open next Saturday, so I'm excited for oh, that. Wow. Um, not the players, of course. They're already good, but the, <laughs> the kids and family. So I'll be over there with the LPGA clinics and uh, look, looking very forward to that. And then I do have a surprise project in the works, Ted. I cannot divulge it yet. But um, okay. it'll be pretty. It'll be pretty musical. So I will hopefully have something to share with you again uh, down the road, and we'll see where this goes. But it's a it's a fun project designed for younger kids, and even adults will like it. So that's all I can Perfect. tell you right now. Yeah. Well, when it gets a little bit closer and you're ready to divulge, you let me know, and I'll have you come back on, <laughs> and you can uh, share it with the sure. with the audience here. I would lo- I would love that. Um, Actually, I can you know, do that and probably have one of the kids or two do do it too, which will be good. So that that will be really fun. And I forgot to mention, you know, you were asking the parents about how to get started. Um, I think some yes. great resources for anybody listening. Um, it, go into the U.S. Kids Golf website, and they have a Find a Teacher page. And there's some wonderful coaches around the country and the world. They are international. That's a really great way to check with them. And then for the ages two to five, um, Kate Tempesta, of course, you you know Kate. She's a rock yes. star and one of the best in the industry and uh, really going strong now with her birdie basics. And she's located out of these, uh, out of New York City but um, has a lot of coaches that are starting to work around the country with her product and, and her philosophy. And then Little Golf Train um, that Dr. Patricia right. Donnelly is now running has some wonderful information for coaches on – on the background of how kids are at that age and the, the theories behind it. So um, a lot of cool resources there. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny that you mentioned Kate at the last time I had her on the show, she talked about, you know, going to central park and, and, you know, doing a lot of great activities. And I thought, man, she's got a great job up in New York. You know, she doesn't even have to go to a golf course and go to a beautiful park like central park and, and uh, and get the kids engaged in different activities and still teach them a little bit about golf at the same time. So, yeah, she's definitely a rock star. Um, you know, Nicole, it, it obviously takes, uh, I think, a special person to do really what you do. I mean, you're not just a golf professional, but you're really um, a, a great role model for, for so many others in the industry because you've really, um, and I know you teach others as well, but you've really, um, in my mind, are also one of the premium uh, coaches in the country, um, you know, in working with, with youngsters like that, because you've taken a very uh, a different approach. I don't think, you know, not everybody can do what you do. Um, there's a lot of great instructors out there. There's a lot of great teachers all over the place, um, but it takes a special skill set to be able to come up with some of the ideas that you have over the years and to be able to do what you do. So uh, kudos to you and your staff. Thank you so much. That means a lot. I appreciate it. Well, it's well earned. And, uh, you know, as I was reading out uh, earlier on, some of the different accolades that you've, uh, you know, accomplished over the years, and I, I couldn't read them all because there was just too many. We w- would have wasted up the whole uh, hour segment just reading all those out. So I had to edit it down a little bit, but uh, well-deserved and well-honored. And, and you're exactly right, the US, uh, USGA Girls Golf and, and all of these other great programs around the country. And what's really interesting about a lot of these programs it doesn't always have to be about the competition. It's just about exposing, um, you know, uh, whether it be young girls or even young boys to different uh, aspects of golf and not always having to, you know, lurch them into a competitive uh, uh, field, if you will, and and sort of let them develop uh, and and go in that direction if that's what they choose. And it's very, very critical, and it takes 
um, you know, an expert such as yourself to really be able to identify and, and as we talked about, sort of ratchet the parents back a little bit sometimes um, so they don't get too uh, too assertive. But um, great stuff. So if anyone wants to reach out to you, Nicole, how can they, what's the best way to do it? Uh, great question. Um, through uh, Facebook Messenger would be great. Um, uh, my business page is uh, Stick to Sports. Uh, and I'll do a lot of postings there on some of the activities of pictures and videos. So that's a great way to reach me. Um, and also Twitter is very good. If I'm on Stick to Sports there as well, that's the name of my book that I've written for ages three through eight. And so um, it has stickers and points and lots of fun. So that, those are my handles on, on the two areas there. So, Is there another book, do you think, uh, coming down the pike at any time soon? I mean, you, uh, you did a great job the first one. Uh, is there Thank more you. books to come, do you think? You know, I was I left that title open and stick to sports was kind of a way to get maybe into other sports, but I'm not going to go down that route at the moment. I did actually launch um, uh, flashcards, so I called them Match Play Golf, and I made flashcards out of the pictures from the book. So in a deck, there's 10 different pictures. It could be a flagstick or a, a child doing an exercise or a ball or an iron, and I made two of them. So once they learn the terms, then they put all the cards down upside down and play like the matching game. So that's out there as well, and um, uh, it's, those are really fun. And then what I'm coming out with, um, uh, maybe launching again early next year, is in line with this, but it'll 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 kind of tie things in very very nicely. So not a book at the moment, but I'll, I'll certainly let you know if anything comes down the pipeline. <laughs> All right, I want a copy if you do. Um, well, All Nicole, right. as yeah. always, thank yeah, <laughs> thank you very much for coming on. It's always a pleasure. And as I mentioned a little while ago, um, you were my very first uh, official guest here on Golf Talk Live uh, seven uh, short years ago. I'm still I'm still working at it, um, and uh, I appreciate it very much. And uh, I've enjoyed having you come back each and every year, and and I hope you'll continue to do so. Uh, we'll literally make a holiday of it. But uh, I want to wish you and, and Ty, your husband, all all the best and much continued success. And I'm gonna. Keep trying to figure a way to get him on this program one way or the other. But um, <laughs> So if you're listening, Ty, beware. Um, but uh, I want to thank you very much, and I want uh, you and, and your family to have a great Memorial weekend. And God bless, my dear. You do a fantastic job, and it's an honor and pleasure to have you uh, be a guest on the show. And thank you for bringing the parents on as well. My pleasure, Ted. It's very much an honor, and I look so forward to it. So I uh, hope to run into you this year, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. I really love it. I will. I'm going to make a point of going to the PGA show. I haven't been the last couple of years, so I'm due. So okay. if you're down there, I'll see you down at the PGA show for sure. Definitely. Message me, and we'll we'll meet up down there and uh, exchange some ideas. We'd love it. Perfect. All right. Thank you very much, Nicole. Have a great right. evening. Cool. Have a good holiday. Thanks, Ted. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. That was my very special guest on a special Coach's Corner panel, uh, the head professional at the Landings Club in Savannah, Georgia, is where you'll find her. Of course, I'm talking about Nicole Weller. And you can find her on social media as well. So uh, for you parents out there that are maybe uh, interested in getting your children involved, um, you might want to reach out to Nicole. And, and even if she's not in your area, she can certainly direct you to some great teachers literally around the country through uh, various networks. And uh, also you can go to U.S. Uh, Kids Golf as well to their website and, and find a teacher in your uh, neck of the woods, if you will. But uh, she's definitely a great resource and, and just does a fantastic job with uh, the programs out in uh, Savannah. Um, all right, before I uh, introduce uh, my special guest this evening, uh, I want to remind everybody, of course, uh, of a special promotion uh, beginning tonight, actually. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Coach's Corner panel is sponsored by GolfSwing.com, 
and they very graciously uh, offered a, uh, a substantial discount, in fact, 50% off their subscription website. Uh, they've got a great online video academy from some of the best golf uh, teachers and instructors uh, around that you can find. So if you go to golfswing.com after the show and at the checkout, if you uh, put in promo code Golf Talk Live, doesn't matter, it could be upper or lower case, but just put Golf Talk Live, uh, you will get 50% off the subscription price. So make sure you go to Golf Talk Live or sorry, golfswing.com and enter promo code Golf Talk Live. And here's just a short audio clip. Uh, telling a little bit more about GolfSwing.com. Are you finally ready to improve your golf game? GolfSwing.com is changing the way golfers learn online. With the largest collection of golf training programs and drills on the planet, GolfSwing.com can help you improve every part of your game. Whether you want to gain more distance, hit it closer, or just sink more putts, GolfSwing.com's staff of world-class coaches can help you gain the results you need. Watch unlimited videos on any device from anywhere in the world and start playing better, scoring lower, having more fun, and saving money. Get your fix on demand at golfswing.com. All right, that was my apologies. wasn't quite done yet. <laughs> that was uh, uh, a short promo from golfswing.com, who is the sponsor of the Coach's Corner panel this season. Uh, once again, they came on board uh, last season and decided to uh, renew again this season. I'm very grateful to have them, and uh, they're a great, uh, great company. And again, go to golfswing.com after the show and enter promo code Golf Talk Live, and you'll get a 50% uh, savings on their subscription price. It's worth it. There's literally thousands of great online videos on there from some of the best uh, teachers and instructors uh, around. So again, go to golfswing.com. All right. Uh, a little earlier this month, I was scheduled to have. Uh, this gentleman on my show. He's been on a couple times before. Uh, I am definitely a fan of his. I'm talking, of course, uh, the voice himself, a golf announcer, uh, Peter Kessler. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him, and then once he uh, is ready on board, then I will bring him on and we'll uh, have a great interview together. Uh, Peter Kessler was the voice, as I mentioned, of HBO Sports from 1990 through 1995, uh, narrating uh, Peabody, Ace, and Emmy Award-winning documentaries, including uh, when it was a game, and when it was a game two. Also, the uh, boxing trilogy in this corner, and the Sweet Science, uh, the premier talent at the Golf Channel from 1995 through 2002. Uh, Peter hosted, wrote, and produced 1,300 live one-hour episodes of four different shows, including Golf Talk Live, Academy Live, Viewers Forum, and of course Masters Highlights. Uh, an active fixture in the golf industry, Peter has been featured in multiple golf publications around the world including cover stories in Golf World and Golf Week. Uh, his expertise and historical acumen uh, was the subject of a 10-page profile and interviews in Golf Digest. Uh, additionally, Peter has produced programs for uh, Callaway Golf, Adams Golf, Gary Player Golf, and Bobby Jones Golf. Uh, the first voice on the PJ Tour Network, Peter also wrote and hosted a daily show from 2005 through 2015, uh, and his podcast on iTunes was rated the number one uh, golf pa uh, podcast, excuse me, for 2014 and 15, and has continually sought uh, for narration work. Peter has provided voiceover talent for American Express, the NBA, the USDA, and the Boys and Girls Club of America. And as I mentioned, his podcast called Reading the Break, it's uh, a free podcast woven from the history of the game, hosted by masterful storyteller and renowned golf historian, Mr. Peter Kessler. So I will just wait for uh, him to come on board. 
and uh, we will make up for, and I will uh, humbly apologize to Peter on air uh, for my mishap the last time. Uh, he uh, did not uh, no-show for the uh, program. Uh, it was my mistake, so I'm going to uh, humbly apologize to Peter when he comes on board, and I'm looking forward to uh, tonight's discussion. And don't forget to uh, also join me uh, on Tuesday mornings uh, here on uh, the blogtalkradio.com network uh, for the Women of Golf, where, of course, my good friend LPJ professional Cindy Miller and I host and speak with some of the great young ladies uh, on the Symmetra Tour and others uh, from the LPJ Tour as well, uh, including uh, teacher professionals and players um, and a whole host of other uh, great guests as well. So make sure you tune in uh, to blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern uh, here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And at the end of this show, um, you'll hear some other ways, uh, other uh, avenues that you can uh, check out uh, this uh, show, Golf Talk Live, and also the Women of Golf, uh, as well as uh, coming to the main uh, network. So, um, as I said, I'm just waiting for uh, Peter to come on board here in just a moment, and, uh, and we'll begin tonight's uh, discussion. Oh, and one other final uh, note, my apologies, one other final note I wanted to mention uh, as well um, to go to um, – now I lost my train of thought um, – go to the uh, blogtalkradio.com uh, website and, again, type in a uh, – whether it be Golf Talk Live or Women of Golf. And if you want to follow the program, if you click on follow, uh, you will actually get a um, notification on the, in the inbox of your email – to let you know of upcoming shows and who's going to be on it. So if you want to get notified, that's a great way to do it. Um, just go to uh, blogtalkradio.com and either forward slash golf talk live or forward slash women of golf, either one, both shows. Uh, in fact, do both of them. And uh, when you get to the main page, you just click follow. Uh, there's no cost. Obviously, they're free. And uh, you'll get notification coming into the inbox um, of your email address that you provide and uh, you can get updates on the show as well uh, and notification of when uh, new coming shows. This show, of course, airs live every uh, Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central uh, here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And as I mentioned, um, every Tuesday morning here on the same network uh, is the Women of Golf show from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern. So uh, make sure you tune into both programs. And as I said, make sure you follow both programs and you will find me on social media uh, you can either check under my personal name, which is Ted Odorico, and it's O-D-O-R-I-C-O, uh, or you can also search uh, for either program on Facebook, uh, Women of Golf uh, or Golf Talk Live. Uh, you can go and follow the pages there. I uh, keep updated every week there. So you can also check it out on uh, any of those uh, social media sites. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn. I update there as well, and also on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Ted and Buck CEO, and it's uh, CEO is in capital letters. Uh, so you can get updates uh, for the programs uh, as well uh, on those social media platforms. So as I said, just uh, waiting for Peter to, uh, to come on board here. And uh, I appreciate uh, all of you tuning in. And I hope that you enjoyed the first uh, half of the show uh, with my very special guest, uh, Nicole Weller, who was uh, uh, always interesting, always has a lot of uh, great things to talk about. And uh, I appreciate her bringing on uh, some of the parents that she's uh, – some of the, ch of the children that she's worked with 
uh, over the last several years, uh, Andy McKeever, uh, Andrew Barber, and of course, Dr. Jay Goldstein. Uh, appreciate their uh, thoughts uh, and input into the show as well. Always makes it very interesting to get a, uh, a parent's perspective. You know, we have so many um, young kids now getting involved in, in different golf programs. And, uh, you know, as they all very eloquently uh, sort of pointed out, uh, quite often we get um, the uh, parents get a little bit overzealous and a little bit aggressive. And uh, a lot of times uh, what ultimately ends up happening is the uh, the children kind of lose interest, if you will, um, just because they're not able to sort of keep up. So for you parents out there, um, you know, if you just sort of tuning in, uh, maybe you missed the first segment, go back uh, after the end of the show. Uh, you can listen to the archive and just listen to, um, there's three different parents that were on tonight uh, with Nicole uh, on the first uh, hour of the show. And just listen to some of what they talk about. Maybe you're in a similar situation or maybe you're uh, thinking about getting your child uh, involved in uh, golf and uh, not sure how to go about it. There were some uh, great ways that Nicole had mentioned as well that uh, you can do that. Uh, but also just listen to uh, what some of the parents, um, you know, talked about and and really how to sort of step back sometimes as well. Um, and, uh, you know, again, they, they try to, um, you know, let the uh, the coaches and, and the um, teach professionals that are working with their uh, their children just sort of, uh, take the lead, um, you know, in uh, in handling uh, the, the children in different programs and, and not trying to get too, too involved. Uh, certainly they, they do appreciate involvement, um, but, um, you know, sometimes, you know, getting too involved up front uh, can be uh, a little bit overwhelming for the, for the children, and uh, it's not always... Um, uh, you know, working, uh, working out if you will. So, but, um, so just keep that in mind when you're, uh, looking for that. And as, as Nicole had mentioned, if you go to us, uh, kids golf website, uh, you can find a teaching professional in your area, uh, that will help you, um, sort of navigate the waters, if you will, with your children and on how to get them involved. And, uh, there's some great programs out there and, and uh, you know, sort of have one that that fits to uh, to your child's needs, and and again, it, it's really their uh, needs, if you will, and uh, and not yours. So you want to make sure that you uh, um, you know listen to your children and and, um, and have them sort of decide um, how much involvement they want to get, and then just sort of uh, help guide them along from that point, and not uh, you know sort of uh, uh, push the envelope, if you will. Um, I'm just uh, reaching out to uh, to Peter here. He may be running a few minutes late and um, I will uh, bring him on as soon as he is ready. Um, I will, in the meantime, I will just remind everybody, well, I've got a few moments here um, to go to golfswing.com at the end of the show and at the checkout, if you subscribe to their website, again, it's a their online video academy. Uh, they're offering right now um, a 50% off discount off the subscription price if you enter the promo code golf talk live and uh it's a, it's a great deal they've got some fantastic videos in fact uh i've had some of the professionals uh, have been guests on the show here uh one particular john decker who has uh, become good friends uh over the last uh, couple of years since he's been coming on he's been a regular on uh for the last couple of seasons he's been a guest as well but uh 
on the coach's corner panel. He's been a regular uh, contributor, and he's uh, literally put, uh, I think, a few hundred videos up on their platform. So some great videos there, and including his signature series um, about the short game. So you definitely want to go and check that out. So subscribe today uh, and enter promo code GOLFTALKLIVE and get a 50% savings uh, from uh, the people at GOLFSWING.com. All right, I've just sent uh, Peter a quick little text here and just uh, to remind him in case maybe uh, there's been a problem, hopefully not. And we will hopefully continue to uh, let me, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to do this. I think what we will do is we will knock on Mr. Kessler's door, sort of speak, and we will, oh, the message and I'll call you back. Well, I guess I guess he's not quite quite ready yet. So I got his voicemail. All right, we will wait for Peter to uh, to come on board and hopefully everything's all right and uh, we won't have to reschedule. I actually spoke to him. Uh, I actually communicated with him a little bit earlier today, so he may be running a few minutes late. So my apologies uh, for that, and I will uh, bring him back here. Uh, or bring him back uh, on, if you will, here uh, shortly. Hopefully he will be uh, ready to go. Um, also next week uh, will be a regular uh, Coach's Corner panel, uh, followed by another guest, and uh, always look forward to the Coach's Corner panel discussions. If you're uh, a teacher professional here uh, anywhere in the United States, doesn't matter where you are or even in Canada, and you're interested in being part of the Coach's Corner panel, uh, you can send me an email. My email is ted.golftalklive at gmail.com that's ted.golftalklive at gmail.com and uh, you can uh, send me an email uh, there and I will uh, see if I can squeeze you in before the season uh, has ended um, even though I know we've just started I'm pretty booked up for most of the uh, discussions but there may be a few spots open uh, and if not uh, I will normally send out the uh, new schedules for the season uh, usually late October, early November, uh, and you can get in for next season. It fills up pretty quick. It, usually within about two weeks of sending the schedule out, uh, it fills right up. So um, make sure that uh, you uh, get in touch with me as soon as possible. Uh, if you're also in the golf industry, you don't necessarily have to be a teacher professional, uh, but if you're somebody in um, the golf professional uh, and or maybe you have a, an interesting product or service, uh, provider in the golf industry and you'd like to come on as a special guest. Uh, I am working on, uh, June is actually booked now, but uh, I'm working on July and August. So if you're interested in coming on the show, by all means, please reach out again to me through my email. It's ted.golftalklive at gmail.com and I will be more than happy to put you into the mix. Uh, and there is my good friend, 
And uh, let me welcome uh, Mr. Peter Kessler. How are you, my boy? Good evening. Uh, <laughs> good it's evening. always great to hear your voice. I, I always look forward to our conversations. How are you, Peter? Good stuff. And so I'm doing fine. Thanks, buddy. Not a problem. All right. Well, Peter, what I thought we would do tonight um, is, you know, you've had, as I've mentioned to you before, when you've been on the show and, and we talked a few weeks back, actually, after, uh, and I, I'm going to digress here for a second because I, I promised, I told everybody I was going to do this, uh, but I was going to apologize because I had you scheduled for May 2nd, and I made the mistake, and I thought it was a no-show, but actually it was me uh, that had made the error, so I want to apologize on air to you that it was my mistake, not yours. So I want to make sure that uh, uh, my audience knows that, that uh, you were very patient yeah, wait, waiting for my call. and uh, which. Hang, <laughs> hang on a second now. I just called you 11 minutes late because I wanted to pick hit the last few little chip shots into the basket, and then I went, oh, my God, it's time to call. So call it even, and off we go. <laughs> that sounds good. All right, Peter, one of the things I, I wanted to do, and I've been thinking about this for a little while, you know, you've had the, the honor and the pleasure of interviewing some phenomenal players over the years. And I, I'm going to name a few of them. And I, what I'd like for you to do is give your thoughts as far as what you liked about their game and some of the things that you may or may not have liked about their game. And I'm talking about their playing, their style, whatever, however you want to phrase it. Um, and I'm going to talk about some of the players that – um, you know, played maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago, and then some of the newer players. And I'd like to get your thoughts on how the game has changed, in your opinion, um, from that particular era to what it is right now. And I'm obviously going to start with the king, uh, Arnold Palmer. What did you think of his game overall and him as a player? Well, you know, from 1958 through, say, 1968, Arnold was the straightest and best driver on the whole tour. I mean, anybody will tell you that. Lee will tell you, Jack will tell you, Gary will tell you, Billy would have told you, Kenny would have told you. But Arnold hit, you know, the perfect drive for his time. You know, less irrigation, the fairways would run out a lot, and he hit this low straight bullet. Everybody said he hooked it. He didn't hook it. It, it, it barely turned left. It was anything but a hook. And he, he just hit every freaking fairway, and he hit – way more greens than people might imagine. You know, 14, 15 greens. Jack hit 16 greens on a regular basis during his prime. But So Arnold was a really, really good driver of the golf ball. He was a really good long iron player, even though he didn't hit the ball high. He's, you know, I remember I said to him one day, so what did you do when you had to hit it high? He said, you think I did? He said, I hit it high. He said, what do you think? I'm an idiot. So, uh, <laughs> you know, there was no no shot he couldn't hit. And you know, even when, um, you know, he won 63 times on the PGA Tour, won 90 times overall. He's got seven professional majors and the U.S. amateur, which automatically makes you obviously, you know, on the top 10 list, no matter any way anybody wants to slice or dice it. But, you know, from 58 to 64, Arnold won those seven majors. It was a very, very brief window. And then his putting started to leave. And then, of course, Jack Nicklaus had already arrived on the scene and really started to dethrone him at Oakmont in 1962. But, you know, Arnold was reputed to be inside 15 feet and in from like 57 or 8 through 63, the 64, that he was like the greatest putter from 15 feet. 
And Tommy Bolt used to tell me stories that Winnie, his wife, when, you know, and they were young, this is the 1950s, she would sit on the side yeah. of the putting green and Tommy Bolt would hear her say, just keep hitting more of that, that length putt on because if you're the best at that length putt, then with everything else that you do, you should win a lot of stuff. And, of course, that's exactly what happened. So underrated player, not the greatest wedge player that ever lived, but, you know, win right. 63 tournaments if you can't play every shot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, and you're exactly right. You know, and it was a different time then. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But um, I want to move on to, obviously, you've already mentioned him, Jack Nicklaus. Um, you know, obviously, uh, arguably, the, in my opinion, the greatest player. Um, you know, some now say, you know, Tiger is, is in that uh, category. But what are your thoughts about Jack? Um, how did you rate him as a player? Obviously, he won, um, you know, the most majors at this point, uh, And Tiger is certainly in the hunt for that. But how did you rate him as a player, his game in general? And what did you like or not like about his game? Well, it was completely ridiculous. I remember in the spring of 1972 when I was 20 and living in San Diego and had the Tournament of Champions at La Costa where I joined and became club champ a few years later. And actually, poor Tommy Jacobs, who lost in a playoff with Gabe Brewer to Jack Nicklaus at the 66 Masters with the head pro at La Costa, and he had to follow me and this other guy around and went 36 holes before I made a putt to win one up. So poor man had to follow us, and here he was playing off for the Masters. It was tragic. But I used to really hang with Jack. In those days, nobody went to tournaments. If you, I mean, literally, nobody went to tournaments. In 1972, right. not only did I play golf with Gene Sarazen when he was 70 and I was 20 at La Costa by complete accident, and Reggie Jackson, but – that, you know, Jack was right then in the very heart of his prime. You know, from 1970 through 1980, Jack would win 10 of the 44 majors, 10 out of 44 majors from 70 through 80, and then eight second-place finishes. And I think 38 or nine of those 44 were top tens. Not that that matters very much. Top ones are good when you have 10 of them and that, you know, that, that span from 70 through 80. But there wasn't anything Jack couldn't do. So on a Tuesday, I would go up first thing Tuesday morning. I lived about 20 minutes away, and I totally blew up school always anyway. And so I, I drove up to the Costa, <laughs> and, and I knew Jack right. was going to play early. But nobody ever, nobody was going to ever be there. So I went up. I parked my car. By then, I'd already joined. Even though I was 20, it was $500 to join and $10 a month dues. And so I went, and I found Jack down on the range. And it was like one other person, maybe. Maybe I was alone. So I walked with Jack to the first tee. And. And I said to Angela, it was Kenny. I said, can I walk with you guys? He said, sure. He said, do you know anything? I said, I know everything. He said, okay, great. So we start, we walk right down the first hole. Jack hits, his, I stand right there on the tee. Jack hits a practice shot to drive right in the middle of the fairway in La Costa. We walk down the hole and I start talking to him. And like in three minutes, you know, he knew that like, oh, here, here, here's somebody different. And, and he knew I knew a lot, like instantly. And we, I, we, I had go the whole 18 with him. I mean, he would let me hit a couple of chips, you know, and I would say to him, I'd say, you know, I noticed that you, you work on your chipping and everybody says, you know, you're not a good chipper and you're the best player in the world. And he said, he said, that's because I never have to chip. He said, I expect to hit 16 <laughs> greens around. Sure. For sure. No matter what the tournament is. And he said, and on the two greens that I miss, he said, I know I can chip it to 10 feet. And if I hit to 10 feet, obviously there's no way I'm ever going to miss one of those. He said, so I never really even thought about that, but there wasn't anything he couldn't do. One day we're on the practice tee. There's like four other guys sitting with me right behind him on the little hill, five, six feet away. In those days you had catcher's mitts for the caddies 
and they'd had a bag and the bag had empty at the tee and they'd take the bag out and they'd, they'd catch the ball after a one hop. And then when the player would wave, that'd mean go back 10 yards. So Jack hits a seven iron 150. Guy next to me says, I get it my seven iron 150. Jack hears him. He waves Angelo back, goes to 160, <laughs> hits a seven iron, goes to 170, goes to 180, goes to 190, wow. goes to 200 with a seven iron. And then turns around wow. and says to the guy right next to me, because Jack already knew me at that point. You know, he did not, you weren't friends or anything, but I'd already spent time with him. And so he knew I knew what was happening. And he looked at the guy and he said, I can hit my seven iron as far as I'd like to. He said, but I choose to hit it 150 yards. And there wasn't anything that he couldn't do. I mean, I, right. I saw him hit a million shots where he had to play bunker shots or trouble shots. It was, you, know, you don't win 20 majors. You can't play everything. So, you know, his game was absolutely flawless. The business about the wedge stuff is only accurate in the sense that on a relative basis for the best player who ever lived, that may have been the part of his game with which he was able to at least take advantage of birdie opportunities should he have actually been seeking them. So the whole thing with the short game and Jack is nonsense. And he hit this ball. Right. His ball fell to the right, like, oh, 15 feet, I'd say. And his ball didn't go as high as you might think. It was it was, it was, was not a line drive, but it wasn't like way, way up in the air. His one iron went higher than his driver. It was kind of three-quarter height, and it would kind of bore through, you know, whatever the air thing was, and then it would just gently fall to the right. Not curve, fall to the right. Yeah, he was, he was phenomenal. I saw him years ago at the Canadian Open uh, hitting that same bunker shot that Tiger hit, um, uh, I forget what year that was, but uh, Jack actually, uh, Tiger, I believe, hit the six iron from that bunker, from that fairway bunker, and Jack actually hit a four iron uh, from that very same bunker uh, several years earlier. But uh, he was just a phenomenal player. I enjoyed watching him, uh, and uh, it, it just was amazing what he did. I want to skip across well, the pond, also, if you will. Give me one, give me one, last, one last thought on Jack, which is this, just to show you how how arrogant in a really good way he secretly was because they all are the really, really great ones. Right. They don't, a lot of times they won't tell you people like me. I say I'm the greatest all the time. Like Muhammad Ali likes to say that for fun too, but Jack only does it sometimes. So one year in the Ryder cup, he and Weisskopf are playing best ball and they're up. They go to the first hole. Jack's got about 15 feet up the slope for birdie three. Weisskopf is 10 feet from the hole on Jack's line, so he's going to get a great look at it. So Tom says to him, do you want me to move my marker? And Jack said, just pick it up. And Tom said, what do you mean? Jack said, just, just pick up your marker. Tom said, what do you mean? <laughs> Jack said, rack, rack your cue. There's no possible way that I could miss this putt. Weisskopf said, so I picked up my marker, and Jack knocked it in, and he looked at me like, what are you, kidding So there you go. Eddie? Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. I I want to go across the um I want to go across the pond if you will and talk about somebody unfortunately is no longer with us but uh I want to get your thoughts on his game uh and what again you liked and disliked about his game and I'm talking about of course uh Seve Ballesteros. Wow, well, Seve, you know, is a you know, good friend of mine and you know, we, we hit a lot of pitch shots together. We hit a lot of pitch shots in Spain when I went to visit him in 05 to do a thing for Golf Magazine, which went particularly well. And 
we spent a lot of time together, and he and he really helped me with my short game. He was the only one who was actually like hands on, where he would say, "No, don't." He said, "I want the shaft to be really vertical." I, he said, "You can lean it back, but you can't lean it forward." You know, he had very specific things that I still think about whenever I practice short shots, and really, that's all I ever practice anyway. And but Sebi, when he was young, and, and people definitely don't know this because it, it was it happened for such a brief time, and we didn't get to really see much of it, but he was ridiculously long. He was so long that when he came over in 1980 to play in the Tournament of Champions at La Costa, because by then he had won the Open the year before by Olympian St. Anne's, and he'd already won on the tour already at, at that point. So he comes over in 80 to play. Now, Weisskopf was one of the really longest hitters for sure. The 18th hole at La Costa right. was a joke from the back, back tees, and, um, and I've shot some really good numbers in the mid-60s there, and let me tell you, if you, it's it's a it's a serious golf course in the tips, and there's always wind. It's really close to the ocean. The last hole, but he's dead uphill into the wind. It's par for you. He's got to hit a really stout drive. You get a really good second shot. There's nothing gimmicky though about the green area or some you know dopey thing. It's just a good, just a good, good, just a good tough Dick Wilson hole. So Weisskopf comes through and hits driver three iron. So I know. So I'm walking with Seve. So I I wait for Seve. And his ball comes down, and it's past Weisskopf's ball. And I, I noticed that his caddy, when he gets up, is like fiddling with the three-wood head cover. And I asked him, there's nobody there, remember? I, asked, I said, I had a chance to say to him, I said, was that three-wood or T? Yes. So Seve hits three-wood, eight-iron, where Weisskopf hit driver, three-iron. Same hole, ten minutes later, same conditions. His swing speed. I mean, you think about, like, the famous shots of his, maybe the second shot into 13 in 1986 where he made the eagle on the last day and celebrated too early. But, you know, Phil Mickelson watched right. that swing. It was a 6 iron. He went a fantastic guy. You know, Phil Mickelson maybe watched <laughs> that two or 3,000 times. Seriously, literally watched it two or 3,000 yeah. times. Played over and over and over. It's one of the greatest swings ever, ever, ever. And, and the thing about it that, of course, besides the 50 obvious things, you know, how beautiful it is, and the tempo and the timing and the rhythm and the sequence, all of that stuff. But the acceleration cast the ball up, out, away, around, and to the finish was ridiculous. Like all really, really long hitters of the ball. Real speed was, I mean, it was just gathering speed through the hit and it just Picks up speed and boom, boom, around, up, over. So he was ridiculous. And then short game was crazy. I mean, he had, I just, I was late with you, and I apologize again because I was in the backyard no. hitting chips. Except where Chevy <laughs> hit chips in my yard. He came, came here with his family at Christmas time in 05 when they had the father, son in Orlando, and I'm in Orlando. And I said, when you come to Orlando, come over. And I knew he wouldn't call, and he called. He said, I'm coming over. Okay, great. So came over, bought the kids. The uh, girls made dinner. Seve and I go into the yard. I got a, a good little mat, you know, really teeny little mat green, but it's totally functional. Looks fine, and it's 38 yards is the is the ideal shot to hit. And Seve and I go down there and I got a bunch of balls, a couple of wedges already there, and then he takes one of the wedges and it's the first shot and just kind of dead straight and it rolls kind of like right next to the cup. And then he made one that went way from right to left, then way from left to right. Then he hit one that was like two feet off the ground the whole way in it. And this little green is hard, too. And it, it hit me just like checked. I had never I had never checked the ball in the, the time I'd ever had that green, not even a lucky shot. It was ridiculous. <laughs> and then he would hit 
He'd hit one that came down vertically like a grapefruit. He had no idea. After three balls, he was, I wasn't even on the planet. He had no idea I was there. So he hits maybe 15 shots, 18 shots. I'm like three feet away just sitting there watching. And, and then finally he hits one that like finished like six feet away. And he's all upset. He looks at the wedge and he looks at the ground and he looks at me. You know, it's my fault that that ball didn't go right. I mean, because all the other ones literally were like within two or three feet. I saw Gary do that with a five iron. We were doing a shoot. shoot. It's just a few years ago. And he had 26 five irons from a, we picked a fairway bunker shot over water into the sun, wind right to left to a green that was on a par three hole that was meant to take really a sandwich, like teeny, teeny, tiny. So players hitting these 175-yard shots, right to left wind, into the sun, fairway bunker, no lip, over water. And of the 26 shots that he hit, 23 finished on the green. A 26 is a teeny little thing with a five iron into the sun. Wow. First thing in the morning. And the ones that were on the green, the 23, the 26, 19 were within 15 feet. So, you know, these guys are so, and this, he was in the seventies. This, these guys are so much better than people know. I mean, the, the things that Sebi could do with a golf ball, you know, things he could do on the putting green and, you know, and he would just say little things to me, like said, you know, you really, you really want to feel the club stay in the grass, like a couple of inches after you make the pitch or the chip, because he said, you want it to feel a little bit like you're in the bunker, you know, let the club stay down. Well, don't swing up. Let make, keep the thing down, keep it down. You know, just just little stuff, and uh, he would talk about where the handle is, and he would talk about, you know, he said, you, you know, like if it's a three-quarter shot, you know, it was really important to Sebi if it was a three-quarter shot that you swing the three-quarters. You don't ease into the three-quarter position like 99% of us do, and then you hit a hook or whatever. You know, you swing right. the three-quarters. He really hated it when you didn't finish your pitching. He really hated it. Like if I didn't get all <laughs> the way, even on a 38-yarder, because you know, he, he, he made me take it back to like nine, about what felt like 9 or 10 o'clock, but he really wanted me to finish all the way up and around and feel some stretch. And that's not easy to do on a 38-yard shot if you're not semi-biasterous. And so, you know, I, I didn't want to say to him, dude, I'm a six. I didn't want to say, dude, I'm a six, all right? So let's get with the program here. But, you know, he, he, had, the, he had the most wonderful hands and the most gentle, soft manner. And he was so comfortable here, you know, he, came inside and he said, where's your bedroom? And I said, it's over here. He said, I'm taking a nap for a few minutes. I said, okay. And he laid down on the bed and I got an Afghan that my grandmother made probably in 1940 something and laid it on top of him. He went to sleep for 20 minutes. So we had a lovely relationship and we spoke before he passed and reminded me of my short game keys. And I got all upset and um, yeah. he was a lovely, lovely man. And, and, and before his swing betrayed him and he had back issues for that period from 79, really through 90, you know, that was, you know, well, really 76, 76 through 90 was 70. And then in 95, he won his 50th and last event on the European tour, which is of course the record. Mm. Let me ask you real one last thing about Seve before we move on. Uh, it just was thinking about this. Would you say Seve was instrumental in shifting the European, um, what I call, I hate to use the word, surge and the Ryder Cup, do you think that he was instrumental in, in changing the tides? I mean, for so many years, the U.S. really dominated the Ryder Cup, uh, and then he sort of came on the scene. Do you think he was instrumental in changing that uh, momentum? Yeah, sort of like Henry Ford with the automobile. I mean, 
you know, <laughs> there's no way one happened without the other. I mean, you know, really the <clears throat> the catalyst was, uh, of course, Jack Nicholas. You know, Jack was talking, you know, Europeans never won the Ryder Cup. I mean, you know, Great Britain and Ireland never won the Ryder Cup. And so, you know, Jack Nicholas said in the late 70s, oh, for God's sake, and it'll include Europe on your team. So the next year they included it. So we played the first time. It was a good match, but the U.S. won. So we didn't get to play the next time, all kinds of stupid political reasons. But then everything changed <clears> in 83. Because Tony Jacklin then became the captain, the captain for 83, 85, 87, 89. And so... In 83, I think they played to a tie. Or no, the U.S. No, the U.S. still won in 83. And then the next next couple of times were great for Europe. And, you know, the, the tide started to even out. It didn't turn, turn at that point. It it became competitive in the 80s is what happened. And, right. You know, and Sebi was the – so Jacqueline was the catalyst because what Jacqueline did was he knew how to handle Sebi. You know, Sebi temperamental, needs to be handled a certain way. I'm temperamental. There's probably a better way to handle me than not a better way to handle me. So Jacqueline definitely knew how to massage Sebi and tell him how important he was and how great he was. You'd be surprised how many people who are great at what, what they do need other people to tell them they're great. Like, I always think I'm great anyway, you know, but Sebi right. and, and a lot of people not they, they needed the input. Arnold needed it. Nicholas didn't need it. But, like, Arnold, like, it was really important to Arnold to have people tell him how great he was. It was really a fix for him. Where for Jack, it was more, you know, okay, I, I need to get into the mood where you're going to just go ahead and accept this and just, just hang in there and that, you know. Go. But Jack didn't need it at all. But, you know, Arnold was insatiable in that way. Who are we talking about? The Sebi still? <laughs> Yeah. Who did you just ask? Yes. Sevi. Yeah. What was, Sevi the last, there. what was the last question? Um, do you think he was? In... Sorry, I lost you for a second. No, that's okay. Do you think that Sevi was instrumental in, in helping to change the tide? Oh, yes, the, with the Ryder, uh, Cup. Ryder Cup. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Yes, I do. I because once Jacqueline came in to head up the team, what happened in '83 was Jacqueline got him good bags, good clothes, proper airplane. It was the first year that there were team meeting rooms for, for the European side. Actually, the Americans hadn't thought of it either. They sit around some guy's bedroom and stuff, and guys in those days smoking cigarettes and stuff in your bedroom. Man, just awful. So Jacqueline gets some proper <laughs> everything. So, well, first of all, they felt equal in terms of the way they looked, and it's important in your presentation. You know, you're going to go on camera looking good, or you're going to go on camera looking like a schlub. So, you know, you got them really good clothes. And Sebi, at that point, you know, is for sure one of the three best players in the world in 83. And, you know, he had won a major at 79 and 80 and 83 and 84. And so, you know, at that point, you know, and he was super duper popular too, you know, like internationally. So, you know, just like super matinee idol. And so Sebi comes in in his prime and it turns out to be, that he's this insanely emotional team player, like totally out of control, an amazing, you know, Spanish stereotypical temperamental explosion, just fantastic. And he fired people up, you know, and he tried yeah. to tell his own teammates how to hit a five iron. And, you know, and they all knew to say to him, either Sebi, I know how to do this, or, oh, that's such a great idea. But, Sevy got everybody fired up. He got him fired up in the team room. And then, of course, you know, his record with Jose Maria Latabo as, as playing right. partner is something like 11, 11, 2, and 1 or something. I'm really close to that off the top of my head. And so, 
you know, here, so here they are, he and Jose Maria, you know, a little later on, are winning like every match. And, you know, and nobody can beat them. I'm pretty sure it was 11 and 2, which is insane. And so, you know, they had this Spanish Armada thing going on. And, you know, they both come from the same place and the same background. And so that was humongous. And then you had the class of 57. I mean, it was insane. All of these guys who were born in 1957, you had like Faldo and Longer right. and Sandy Lyle and Ian Woosno. <clears throat> All those guys were born in the same year. Uh, Greg Norman, just a couple of years ago, but yet on the European side, you had this whole big gang, Ian Woosno. So there's five right there born in the same year. So it was an incredible classic offers for Europe. And so here they are all in their mid-20s now, in the mid-80s. So it's perfecto mundo because they're now seasoned professionals and they're not kids anymore. So the timing was perfect. It was perfect for Seve. It was perfect for the guys who were born in 57 because now they're in their mid to late 20s. It was perfect for Jacqueline because he lost his game after he lost his confidence, after Trevino chipped in in 72 at Muirfield on the 71st hole when it looked like he wasn't taking his time, but he was. He, he, he put himself in position. He and I talked about that. And, you know, and then, of course, Jacqueline was right in front of the green and basically took four from 20 yards to lose the thing. Then, you know, Trevino all of a sudden has got the lead, runs the next tee, and hits a driver before even Jacqueline even got there. But Jacqueline makes another bogey. Trevino makes a par. So Jacqueline was never the same. He's looking for something to do. And so it was perfect because he turned out to be the perfect manager. And Sebi right. turned out to be the perfect team guy that you get. See, it was a perfect marriage. And they really liked each other. And freaking Tony knew how to push every one of the appropriate buttons with Sebi. And he never got one wrong. But, yep, Sebi's play Sebi's charisma, Sebi's fire, Sebi's enthusiasm, that certainly was the super-duper playing catalyst for the European side after Tony Jacklin set it up to make it happen. Yeah, I, you know, I remember watching a lot of those earlier Ryder Cups like that, and I remember, as you said, you know, you would see, you know, Sevi would, you know, he'd be, you know, in that golf cart, or he would be, you know, on the outside the green somewhere, you know, cheering everybody on and just really getting – everybody pumped up in that, especially in the closing holes. And, uh, you know, uh, that's why I asked you that question. I want to move on to um, a, a few, really only two of the modern players uh, really quick. And, and I want to start with, with Tiger first, just because I, I know it's going to be a little bit longer with him. But um, I know you've talked about Tiger before, you know, when you were uh, still back at the, uh, at the Golf Channel years back. You know, he used to uh, uh, frequent there and, and come and visit and kind of hang around you, as you said. Um, but tell me what you think overall about his game, what you really like about his game, and where he is right now. He just, of course, came off the win at the Masters a few weeks back. Uh, didn't make it into the cut, of course, for the PGA uh, Championship, but uh, you're still young yet. What do you see overall in his game that you really, really like? And do you think the comparison with Jack is accurate um, as the, the best player in the world? Yeah, I mean, everybody says to me, so, you know, how would you arrange a match for Jack and, and Tiger? You know, what ages would they be and what year would it be? And And to me, it's not confusing. I would make them both 24 and I would make the equipment 2000 because remember when Jack was 58 in 98, he finished tied for six right. in the Masters. So he was irrelevant. So now we're going to make them 24 instead of 60 
and we're going to make it the year 2000. So he's obviously going to handle that equipment, and then Tiger would already be playing that equipment, and so would have Jack, basically. But now we're just going to make him 24. So then you have a good match. But the thing is, you know, Tiger hit it uh, farther than Jack did. He hit it much, 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 much higher off the tee. The long irons were the same in trajectory. But, you know, I saw both of them in their prime in a lot of really cool places. And, you know, in Tiger's case, I saw eight or ten of the majors, like where I was under the ropes and stuff that he won. I mean, where I saw everything from like two feet away and, you know, had the best seat in the house. And and with Jack, when I was a kid, even in the mid-60s, I saw Jack win when he was at 24 or 5. So Arnold win in 1964 somewhere in the New Jersey metro area when I was 12. My mom would drop me off and come pick me up. So Tony Lima win, obviously, before he passed a couple of years later. So I saw everybody, and, and I was you know already into it at that point. And when, of course, I mentioned Jack in 72 to you earlier, the Costa San Diego Tournament Champions, and so I got to see Jack in his absolute, absolute, absolute prime, just standing with it, walking down the fairway, playing a practice round. I mean, it was like being, you know, you're, you might as well have been the British Open and you're his caddy. You're just, just the three of us walking down the fairway. Nobody there on a Tuesday. Nobody. I mean, yeah. literally, nobody in the world. He might not even have the ropes up yet. So, um, so, so I saw Jack. So Tiger hit m- more different shots than Jack did. I would say Jack had a basic stock shot that fell to the right softly on everything that he hit. And, you know, and that was the, you know, Arnold said, the, you know, the, the best hitter of second shots in the par fours or fives at the U S open in the history of the game was Jack Nicholas. He said, he said, the thing would come in so high, Peter, he said, and it would come down so soft. He said, you know, remember Walter Hagen said, general desires felt like great boots. He said, it's the same thing with Nicholas. He said, he said, they would come down, and then they would just kind of roll out a few feet. And he said the other thing was with his wedge, it would come down and just roll out a few feet. He said, Jack never had spin stuff ever. He said, even when other guys were starting to spin the ball back, Jack's ball hit and just moved a few feet. He said, so he said he could land it in the tiniest spots, knowing he could drop it in vertically. Now, Tiger was capable of doing the same thing, but with Tiger, he had nine choices. So, my favorite thing was to be in a major championship, you know, and just imagine you're looking at him 10 feet. You're at the back of the tee with unobstructed view right on his ball target line. Nobody between you and him, maybe you're 12 or 14 feet away, kneeling in the back. And my favorite thing was to do that on par threes because on driver holes, you can't see the ball land, which is why when people say, Oh, if they roll the ball back, you know, what about dig the long ball? But the truth is if I stand on the tee and hit a 280 then I hit it 320. You can't tell me which one went 280 in the air and which one went 320. You can't tell that. So no spectator at a golf tournament has ever seen a ball go up in the air and travel for 330 yards and come down. So I don't know what there is to dig because either you're at the beginning and you see the swing and you don't see the ball, or you, you're standing in a place where the ball is sitting on the earth. And my grandmother could have hit it to there. So, you know, there, you know there's that whole long <laughs> ball thing is a complete nonsense. But so I'd stand on the tee and I'd sit on the tee behind Tiger and I would do just what Tiger did as he was doing it. I'd go, okay, how do we stand? Where's this pin? What's the best shot? I sh- What's the smart shot? Do I need to do anything to take trouble into play? Mm, okay. And then I would pick one of the nine shots because he could, he could hit. I've, I've watched it a million times on range. 
he would actually hit all nine shots. He'd hit a straight ball, low, medium, high, and then he'd cut one medium, cut one uh, low, cut one high, and then he would hit draw, 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 you know, nine shots at three different heights. So, you know, and I knew that he could call on them. You know, it's like Paul McCartney can call on any of the notes on his bass guitar. It's not like problematic or anything here. So, you know, it was just, you know, just, just choose which one you're going to do. And, you know, does that have a swing thought? Does that have a feel thought? Whatever it is. And I would say I was right maybe 70% of the time. He, when I was wrong, he would play in a more aggressive shot. Like sometimes I couldn't even believe the choices. I remember one year at Medina when 13 and 17, I think it was 06, 07, somewhere in there at the PGA. And he's playing with uh, Riley, I think of his name. And uh, so it, it, it's 240 yards, par three, both downhill, 13 and 17. And I'm, and I'm standing on the tee and I'm going, you got to play this, you know, kind of middle of the green. And the pin's like really tucked on the left side. You don't want to miss long and left. And it's 240. So he hits three iron. It went so high. The trajectory was in such a crazy place in the sky, but you could still see that was the great thing about par threes is you could see the whole flight of a par three ball where you couldn't see it on a drive. You know, you can see a little over 200 yards. You can't see close to 300. So, and he would hit it like seven feet under the hole, and then I'd run down the hill. And I'd go sit right next to where the putt's going to come in the hole as close as I could get. And he would have like the seven-footer for a two up the slope on a 240-yard hole. But I mean seven feet, not 11, seven. And it'd be an inside right putt. And he would hit the bejesus out of it. I couldn't believe how hard <laughs> it came off the front page. And these freezing, fast, cement greens. Just, you know, there was like no way – is this missing online? And no way is speed going to, I mean, it would start like, you know, a half inch right of center and just, you know, move a half inch I mean, and move it. It was insane. And then he went to 17 and the print was front right. I remember it like it was yesterday. Hit it like seven feet again. Run, I run down the hill. I get in the position. And apparently the putt looked like it went one way, but all the fans knew it went the other way because they'd been there all day. So Tiger got down to the green, and they said, Tiger, it actually goes right to left. It doesn't go left to right. It doesn't go left to right. And he believed them, and he made the putt for two. And so, you know, I got to see so many shots. So there wasn't anything he couldn't do. I remember one day I actually ran into him accidentally. We was filming a commercial at a golf course. It was just a complete accident. And they were in between takes, and so I went up, and Tiger's chipping. And so we have a chipping contest. And he, and he would pick, like, the most – the hardest – possible chip that you could have if it's chipping <laughs> green and of so course. i said give me a three yeah i said give me a three foot give me give me a three foot advantage at the at the end of my chip and i'll play you and so we did and he still beat me because because he would hold like two or three out of ten or if they weren't hold they were like they they looked like they they had to go i mean just you know what he didn't chip it like close to the hole. I mean, everything just like was going in. Always, 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 always. He, uh, it was funny, I had a quick Tiger story in maybe, yeah, 2008, the year he won at the U.S. Open at Torrey. In January of that year, I was in Orlando and went to Iowa Country Club where Tiger still lived. And it was the coldest day in the history of Orlando. And for some reason, my son and I were invited out to play. So we went anyway, and everybody's bundled up with like snowing face mask stuff and everything. So there's three people on the putting green. Me, and my son, Christopher, and I don't know who the other person is. And after 20 minutes, I realized it's freaking Tiger. And he didn't recognize me because I'm all bundled up. 
So we start to talk, and I said to him, so what do you think of his stroke? And he said, well, he said, I don't find the finger down the shaft. He said, Sebi did that, and he said, that worked out. He said, but if he started to have distance control issues, then I'd be looking to soften that up if there's any firmness there. And I said, and, what he, and he said to me, he said, I think the putter's too long, though. He said, look where he's gripping it. He said, he's gripping it kind of like a third. He said, you got to get that cut off two inches, all right? And I said, sure. So six months goes by. So I've got a Tory Pines. The end of the third round, Tiger makes the eagle putt on 18 after the eagle on 13. And the whole thing was out of control. So I get in a position where if I can catch his eye, I'll catch it. And if he wants to say hello, fine, but I don't ever bother him. But I got into the perfect spot because I had the media stuff on. And I get behind the green, and he walks, doesn't look, he looks down, looks down. And then he, somehow he must have laid eyes on the top of his head because he, he's looking down. And then he got to me, and he just stopped, and he goes, what's going on? And I said, what's that noise? I said, what's that noise coming from your body? And he said, it's bone on bone. So that's going to be good. He mm-hmm. said, uh, what happened with your son's putter? And I said, what do you mean? He said, I, he said, remember I told you to cut the shaft down to, I said, he said the greatest player in the world told you to cut your son's shaft down. You didn't cut the shaft down. I said, no, I didn't <laughs> cut the shaft down. So he, he laughs and he walks 10 feet away and he goes, cut the, sh- the effing shaft down. And like, you know, 30 people looked at me like, who's this, who's this freaking guy Tiger's talking to? He's the greatest player in the world told you to cut the shaft. You don't even do it. What a moron. <laughs> well, you know, he he's always had a, a, a really good sense of humor. You know, I mean, obviously, I, I don't know him personally, but, uh, you know, I've, I've watched him and his mannerisms. And, you know, there was always the calmness. Um, and this is what I noticed about him and Jack Nicholas that really differed from a lot of the other players. They, they always appeared very relaxed, very calm. Um, you know, there were times when, when, you know, Tiger would be waiting on the green for, for one of the other players to putt out and he'd be, you know, leaning on the, the putter shaft. And, you know, it was almost like he was in a different place. He was just so calm and just so relaxed. And then he'd get up and and take care of business. Um, And, you know, I'm curious what you see in him compared to, let's forget about the past. Let's forget about Nicholas and Palmer and those guys. When you look at today's game and you think of how Tiger played the game and how everybody else in the field now plays the game, how do you see or what difference do you see in the way it's played now and the way Tiger played in, in uh, the 2000s when he was really, um, you know, hitting it uh, good? Well, he did this before the equipment got completely out of control. The thing you have to really bear in mind with the recent history is this. In 1993, from then through 2003, the average driving day, Average driving distance on the tour increased just under 28 yards, which was 10%. That's 93 to 03. From 03 through now, it's been another 25 yards because of how much farther the ball goes since 03. So you really had a 50-yard pickup since 1993. That's why Phil is 50 yards longer and almost 50 than he was at almost 30. I mean, like literally, he's 50 yards longer than he was 20 years ago. So, as you know, it's right. not the five guys fit the fitness and diet plan that Phil's doing. So, you know, so I would say that the answer is 
that Tiger's, if Tiger was 10 years younger and he had the swing and game he has now, but he had the body of a better Tiger, then he would win as much as he ever did. I, I think the move he's making right now is super duper good. I, I mean, now there's something else going on. I mean, you know, think about, think about the end of the masters for a second. From the time mm-hmm. he pushed the drive on 11 and ended up on the cart path, okay, on 11, Molinari still got right. the lead. Now, Molinari, one minute before, actually hit a very bad shot that he super got away with, and that was the second <laughs> shot to 11. If the ground had been firm as normal, that ball would have been in the water way sooner than it got to the green, but he didn't, and he hit it well enough so it didn't go in the water. You know, there's no ifs, but... Everybody knew it wasn't well struck, okay, but it ended up on the green. So that happened. So at that point, Tiger had a really interesting shot he had into 11 from that card path and gravel on the right. And he drew one in there and got it inside Molinari. From that shot forward, Tiger was ironclad. And, of course, we, we know everything else that happened from that point forward with everybody else. But Tiger, from the second shot on 11, it didn't matter, and he made himself a nice sloppy, easy bogey on 18 to win by one. He was absolutely ironclad. I mean, the play to, to show the, you know, the shot to 12, the two shots mm-hmm. to 13, the two shots to 15, the shot to 16. Everything was perfecto mundo. So, you know, he did. It was it was very Tiger-like, and um, so we know as the Masters winner that some it's obvious he can obviously compete with this crowd because he not only competed, but he beat the boys. And I think the intimidation factor was in play for sure, for sure, yeah. for sure. Brooks Kepka had some pretty makeable stuff on the last few holes. This can certainly happen and didn't make those. And not just the way, not, you know, you never know what's going to happen in golf. But so obviously when Tiger is feeling Tiger-esque, when they put all of him together, whatever they have to go through, it has to be an amazing process because if he's not going to play a tune-up tournament or two, he doesn't that he needs them. But I think he can't play them. I think it's like putting Humpty Dumpty together. It's like, you know, for every right. show, they've got to stitch, his, stitch him back together. You know, that the process to get him ready for an event, to me, looks like an enormity based on how he looks to me. He looks older. He looks tired. He, he bends over yeah. and reaches into the hole like a man 20 years older than he is. He looks to me like he has back issues when he bends over, not pain, but just, just some flexibility issues, which obviously he's going to have at his age, compounded by the multiple surgeries and stuff. So, you know, his body is an old 43, but then you have to say, well, maybe it's not because somehow he, he got it ready for the Masters and he won the Masters. So somehow he still knows how to put it together. And there are places that he can still win. And, you know, and of course, the reason uh, I think more than any other that he couldn't be competitive at the PGA was because it was now that was too much course for him because it was so long, except for two or three people, that the two guys who ended up finishing one two, which are the same two guys who finished one two at Shinnecock, a very similar course, did so Dustin right. Brooks because they they hit seven iron or less, averaging around eight iron into all the par four holes and in some cases even a par five hole. So 
they were hitting scoring clubs. And I remember some occasions last week when Tiger was playing with Brooks, and Tiger looked to me like he'd have a four or five iron, and Brooks got eight or nine iron from the middle of the fairway. You know, I don't. I mean, Tiger's the best iron player I've ever seen for sure, and he's definitely been the best iron player the last 25 years for sure. And he was the best iron player in the world the last eight holes of the Masters, and must have been a whole bunch before that too, because he was, you know, in good shape at that point. So, you know, you know, t- Tiger is uh, is still capable of putting it together. Now, Pebble. Now, I was there in 2000, man. I was with him on the Wednesday night before he teed off on Thursday. It was me, Butch, uh, uh, Stevie Williams, and Sandy Tatum, who passed away. He was one of the great figures in the history of the game, former president of the USGA, mm-hmm. an innovator, brilliant man, a super-duper player. And it was just like the five of us. It was like 6 o'clock. The fans had already left the grounds and everything. So we go to the back nine, and Tiger – makes two birdies and then on 15 he hits eight iron and holds it out for two and then on 18 he had about a pitch from like eh, 110 he hold that out for three to shoot 30 and i said so what do you think and he goes said we're pretty sure that's the best tune-up i've ever had so then the week tournament goes on <laughs> now now we're now we're at saturday night he's got the 10 shot lead and i'm on the putting green with him and he goes, said to Butch, I don't like the way I'm putting. And uh, what Butch would normally say is, just go over to the other side of the green by yourself and putt for five minutes. You'll figure it out. Butch never said anything about it. Just go, just go, go over there and just go ahead and just work on that. It was the swing. It was different. But putting, you, you're talking about Michelangelo. Go, go paint a little bit over there. You'll find the right color. Right. So Saturday night. <laughs> right. So now <laughs> Saturday night, Tiger's got a 10-shot lead. I'm telling him I could win with his lead if they would give me my 10 shots on top of the 10-shot lead that I could hang on to the trophy for him. So he so he says to Butch, I don't like the way I'm putting. And so Butch said, you know, he said, he said really, he said, Peter knows more about putting than anybody I've ever met, actually. He said, Peter, what do you think? And I said, seriously? I said, I don't think it's fixable. Not not by tomorrow morning. I said, he's just going to have to scuff it around on the greens. I said, because definitely we're going to take me. I mean, it's 7 o'clock already. It's going to get dark in two hours. We don't have time to get him together. You know, so we would laugh, and Tiger would you know, push me, and you know, then he'd go putt. He'd come back and say, I'm putting like Kessler. And I said, yeah. Yeah, I said, that means you're going to probably have 21 or two putts tomorrow, you moron. So, uh, yeah, he, you know, with with people that he felt comfortable with, and he trusted me, and I gave him reason to trust me, and I never let him down. I'd ever, ever, right. ever, 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 ever. So he knows that. You know, he knows that. Even though I haven't seen him for a while, he know, he, you know, he, he hasn't forgotten our deal. I haven't forgotten our deal. So, yeah, so I, I, I think there's going to be a few times this year where he's going to be able to be competitive. Now, this business of guessing where and all that sort of stuff, but Pebble is a good place because it's not very long. It's, it's nothing. It's not going to be anything, anything, anything like the Black that page or anything like Shinnecock. And a lot of the field won't have to hit driver in a lot of places. There's some places you can go ahead and beat your driver, but you don't have to hit driver there. I mean, you know, at first hole you can hit a three wood and an eight iron, and you can hit three wood. Five iron and number two. I mean, it's a really manageable course in most of the field. Nine plays long, ten plays long, eight. You got to hit two good shots. I mean, you know, we know the course and stuff, but it's not a long golf course. And so, 
you know, people go, okay, that lets Brooks out. You go, well, actually, that lets him in because now he can hit a lot of three woods. He can hit hybrids, whether people hit their driver. So he's going to hit his hybrid three woods straighter than your driver. And he's going to probably hit it just as long. So there's every reason to think that he would be competitive because he gets hit scoring clones. It just doesn't, it's, it's all out of whack. The equipment is just unregulated at the pro level. If, if it's right. a course like the black, 7,600 yards, and people who haven't played the black, you can't imagine the elevation changes. It's out of control, and it's so super-duper hard. You know, when the winner averages 8-iron over four days into par four, as I say, the game wasn't tested. But yet, there's a whole big bunch of the field that averaged four and five irons. And there were a lot of guys who hit nine hybrids out of the 18 holes in the two days that they got to play before they missed the cut. So Brooks is hitting eight iron on average and never longer than seven iron until Sunday into a par four or a par three. And the rest of the field is four or five clubs. So the disparity is much wider than the longest hitter used to be to like the field. Like even in, you know, Jack's day, or I'll give you an example with Arnold. 1969, the U.S. Open of Champions in Houston. Arnold's paired for the first two rounds with Dean Beeman, the shortest hitter on tour. Arnold's were still one of the longest hitters in 1969. So Arnold averages in the first round at the U.S. Open in 69, a champion, averages into the green, three iron, averages, one of the longest hitters in the field, averaged, uh, many hit one irons, too, and no freaking wedges. So Beeman, with who he's playing, averages four wood and finishes tied for second. That's how good this little short hitter was around the green. So my point is, Beeman averaged four wood. Arnold averaged three iron. Arnold was much longer, but the disparity between the three iron and the four wood is not that great, right? It's just another couple of clubs. It's not four clubs. It's two clubs, right? You know, you can go three iron, two iron, four wood. So, you know, and so now we have a situation where two things are in play. One is the ball is made in such a way that as your swing speed goes from 115 to 130, your distance increase is not linear. It's more exponential. So that the if you swing at 130 like <clears throat> Dustin and Brooks can, uh, or you, and you swing at 115 like most of the field does, it's not two yards per mile per hour like it is for a recreational player. You know, it's like four yards. It's like a little more than four. So, so it's disproportionate, the difference between the players, simply because the properties of the ball allow that swing speed of 130 to hit it much further relatively than the guy who swings at 115. So that's right. a problem where you, would, where you would point to the ball-club combination. And, so, and then the second problem is if only two or three players can play the golf course properly, then that again says, well, there's a problem with the ball. If the disparity between the longest hitters and the other guys is four and five clubs, that's too many. And if the winners are hitting eight iron on average into par fours and par threes, that means their game is not being tested. So there's a second reason why you say then, well, the equipment's not regulated to the extent that it needs be so that we get to see Brooks hit a five iron recovery shot, which we'll never see in the history of the game, which is one of the greatest shots in the history of the game. Without the five iron recovery shot, you wouldn't have Walter Hagen or Ronald Palmer or Seve Ballesteros or Tiger Woods or Phil Mickelson. You wouldn't have any of those people. It's one of the most thrilling shots in the game because you got to be a really good player to hit the five iron from an iffy space 
you know, 190 yards away from the hole. Now you're on the wrong angle and the pin's in the wrong place and you've got the green sloping away from you. Those are great shots. We don't ever, ever, right. ever see anything like that anymore. And so the recovery shot isn't even a part of the game. So the five iron must be reintroduced as the middle club in the bag that you play. If Arnold averaged three iron, and that's what he said he averaged in majors, by the way, from 75 to 1955 to 75, said he averaged three irons at majors. He said, except for the Masters, which could play shorter depending on the speed of the ground. He said, but otherwise, yeah, definitely three iron. And I said, what about, you know, the tour? And he said, yeah, for sure, somewhere between four and five. He said, I wasn't hitting a lot of wedges. He said, you know, and I was one of the longest hitters. And he said, you know, for sure, between four and five iron, I'd say over a 20-year period. And, you know, and then you had a tournament where DJ won in Hawaii recently, and he averaged 86 yards for a second shot into par fours. What was even worse, so that's a lob wedge, averaged 86 yards. Who wants to watch that? And then the real yeah. problem was that the field only averaged – 114. So that meant the field averaged sand wedge and the winner averaged lob wedge and I took a nap. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, this is one of the things um, and we, unfortunately we got to wrap up, but I just want to say this and then I want to throw something out there to you. Um, this is one of the things I don't enjoy. Uh, obviously I watched the Masters because I was excited for Tiger and that, but I don't really watch as much of the tournaments anymore for that very reason that you just uh, mentioned. It's because, you know, you're not really seeing a lot of, in my opinion, a lot of exciting golf there, you know, shot making in my opinion is, is pretty much dead in today's game. And that was one of the things that I enjoyed uh, as a youngster growing up and watching guys like, you know, Palmer and Nicholas and Trevino and, and uh, you know, Chichi Rodriguez and, and other guys, because they were actually very creative on the golf course. Now it's just, bombing out there in a you know a pitching wedge or a lob wedge or something in into the green and that's it and there's nothing in between um it's just to me it, it's not an exciting game i i enjoy more watching the young ladies on the lpj uh and the uh, symmetra tour um because they do play a little bit more of that golf um that we used to see because they they simply just don't hit it as far um but even their game is starting to to get a little bit longer as well so we'll see what happens in the future um, Peter, I want to thank you for joining me tonight, and I, I hate to to have to close this off because I, I really have enjoyed listening to uh, you share some some great insight to a lot of the players, not only the past players, but obviously about Tiger. Um, but I would like to extend an invitation to have you come back a little bit later on in the season. But what I'd like to do for that show, um, I would like for you to talk about um, your views on the instructional side of golf where you see it today, sort of the do's and the don'ts, the likes and the dislikes, and we'll talk a little bit more about the equipment. I'd really like to get your insight and about training aids and things like that. I know that, you know, uh, again, in, in your earlier days with the Golf Channel, that you've, you've seen a lot of the, um, you know, products and things that have come out over the years. I'd really like to get your thoughts and input and in where you see in, instruction today. I have very good news for you. What's that is a topic and a series What's of that? topics that I would, be, I would be very happy to talk about. We could do that now, too. I mean, I, I think those are very, very important subjects. I very much think that it's something we should go to and go into in some great detail. You're, you're, you're good at setting me up 
and letting me go where I know we need me to go to make the show as enjoyable for your fans as we can. And so those are really super duper topics because I, you know, I, I learned to play a lot of golf from Sebi. I learned to play golf from Sam. I learned to play golf from Arnold. I learned from Gary player. I mean, I, I worked with over 500 teachers. So, you know, I invented the hybrid. I, so I, you know, I, I'm a good one to have to talk about these things. I know a little bit about it and I'd love to be with you. Perfect. Well, Peter, I'll consider that a date. We'll set that up and, and we're going to continue our conversation uh, in, in a little bit as well um, about uh, what you and I were talking about a few weeks back uh, privately. I'm going to uh, continue that conversation with you at a later point, but because um, I've got some thoughts and ideas about what we were discussing. But um, Peter, I, I want to thank you. It truly is an honor and a pleasure to have you join me on the show. Uh, not only are you a wealth of knowledge, but you're an interesting uh, individual to, to listen to. You just have some great stories and some great insight to the game and obviously a love and passion, not only for the game itself, but for the people that have been a part of it over these uh, many decades. And I really appreciate you bring it to my audience and, and thank you and God bless you, my friend. Uh, God bless you too. And I love being with you and uh, you know, it's so nice to be your friend and I'm excited about your new project. I know you're trying to do more and special and different things and you know, and that's that. You know, and that's what I love. You know, it's original. Try something new. Do something. Try to think of something nobody's done before. You know, it's like you know, a lot of writers are say they sit down and they go, okay, let me see you write a sentence that's the best sentence that anybody's ever written. You know, so, so, so the the excitement of being able to talk about these things and trying to make the best presentation on them to you and your fans and your followers you know, is a real privilege for me. So I'm delighted to share the information and, and I'm excited that you're interested in it, Teddy. I appreciate it. Well, Peter, thank you again uh, for joining me. Have a great Memorial weekend. Uh, get back to your practicing your chipping and, uh, and we'll see where that, uh, where that takes you <laughs> over, the, over the weekend. Maybe you'll uh, uh, sink a few or hold a few more out and, uh, and definitely take Tiger's advice and, and, and go and shorten that putter. Um, Thank you very much, Peter Kessler, oh, we and uh, have we, a great we, weekend. We did that. that was, we did that. That was 11 <laughs> years ago. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, I didn't ever want to run into Tiger. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want Christopher to run into Tiger. I was afraid to death he'd hit me. So, yeah, no, we took care of that, and I look forward to being with you. And, you know, so we're going to get together, and, you know, as Trump says about July 4th when he sends out a tweet, he goes, July 4th, save the date. You know, and everybody looks at it right. and goes, what could he possibly mean by that? Is he having a party that I'm coming to? What do you mean save the date? I know what July 4th is. <laughs> Come on. So save the date, Eddie, will you? I will, for sure. Thank you, Peter. All right, buddy. All right, good night. All right, that was uh, Peter Kessler, um, also known as The Voice, one of the great golf announcers, uh, even to this day, I enjoyed listening to him and enjoyed having him as a guest. And obviously we ran a little bit uh, late, so I know some of you, the uh, program towards the end kind of dropped off. But uh, stick around because uh, it will uh, the recorded version will come out and you'll hear the entirety of, of the show. Um, uh, and as I said, uh, stick around. And, and if you listen to the recorded version, just go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live. Or if you listen to the uh, outtake here in just a moment, uh, there are some other great ways you can tune into the program as well. Don't forget to go to golfswing.com uh, immediately after the show and uh, register for their subscription online and enter the promo code GOLFTALKLIVE and you'll get yourself 50% off the uh, subscription price. So make sure you do that. Uh, it's a great uh, online video platform with some great instructors from 
literally all over the uh, place and uh, definitely a great platform to do. So on behalf of my special guest tonight, uh, Nicole Weller, uh, and the uh, parents that followed on the show, and my good friend, Mr. Peter Kessler, God bless everybody, and have a great Memorial Weekend, and we'll see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live. If you can't join us live, check out the on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts or listen on any of the following social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course, Spotify. To get updates on future shows and upcoming guests, be sure to visit the show's Facebook page, Golf Talk Live Blog. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. Remember to join me live each week for another great broadcast of Golf Talk Live. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.